The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. All right, I'd like to call the special meeting of the Kalamazoo City Commission for Monday, December 12th, 2022 to order. This is a special meeting to have a presentation uh, on our budget and do a walk through that. So glad to see all my colleagues here and uh, our great city team sitting as always in far back in the room as you can possibly get. So okay, can you guys move up some please? <laughs> It'd be nice to see you guys. <laughs> so, the meeting is officially called to order, and uh, first order of business is the roll call. Clerk Barley. Commissioner Decker. Here. Commissioner Hess. Here. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. Here. Commissioner Pradle. Here. Vice Mayor Cooney. Present. Mayor Anderson. Here. Thank you, Clerk Barley. Any communications, Manager Risma? I would just remind commissioners that uh, keep your mic muted uh, until you want to speak. Thank you. Thank you. Now is the opportunity for public comments. This will be the one opportunity for public comments for this meeting this evening. I don't know if we're treating it the same way as we do a community of the whole meeting, if we're using our two minute limit or? Yes, okay. So. If you have any public comments uh, and you're here in the chambers, please come forward, give your name, whether you live in the city, you'll have two minutes. And the number is not in front of me here. So seeing no one coming forward, uh, Deputy City Manager Chamberlain, will you please give us the call-in number? So the call-in number is 888-382-9556. We'll go ahead and check to see if there's any calls. We do not have any. Thank you for handling that, DCM Chamberlain. I appreciate that. All right, so uh, we're getting to the real topic of the evening. We are uh, about to start our work session on the budget. Manager Ritzma. 
Oh, thank you, Mayor, and thank you, City Commissioners, for your time this evening. We're going to have a presentation that will be uh, given by several of, of the team. Uh, we're going to work through uh, areas of goals and in projects that we want to highlight for, for the Commission and for the public. And just a review of where we are right now in the process. So we had, um, during the course of the fall, we had our FFE five-year anniversary pre uh, celebration, which included Committee of the Whole topics around SPK, Parks and Youth Development, Economic Development, Affordable Housing, and Infrastructure and Neighborhoods. And so we look forward to a presentation next Monday by uh, our Rebecca Kick um, on the 2022 accomplishments that uh, highlights for 2022 IK 2025 year in review. So look forward to that coming up next week. As far as uh, future work, uh, we continue, we'll continue with the 2023 budget pr preparation and uh, ultimately coming back to the commission on January 16th for approval, and we'll lay that out again later in the presentation. Uh, and on the 17th, I guess that's the 17th because of MLK Day, but on the 17th, we want to have a, a committee of the whole meeting around housing development sites and unit presentation by Director Antonio Mitchell. So look forward to that. And then in February, on the 18th of February, we're looking to have a retreat again with the City Commission, with the focus of that being on 2024 and beyond. So with that, um, who's got the, the slide presentation? Can we move the slides forward? All right, there we go. So you've seen this before. We just are focused on projects around Imagine Kalamazoo and the City Commission priorities. And uh, you'll see the work we're proposing for 2023 being presented in this format. So we'll have uh, our directors come forward. And I'd ask that if you're presenting, um, that you be up front and ready to go. I know there's a couple of slides where we'll have two directors uh, presenting and appreciate it if you would be uh, side by side on that so we don't have to wait for coming and going. So with that, I will turn it over to our Acting Director of Public Safety, David Boyson, and Public Services Director, James Baker. And we'll be talking about safe community. All right, good evening, everyone. Thank you, City Manager. Uh, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners, and City Leadership. Uh, I'd like to talk about our 2023 public safety uh, budget initiatives. Um, our number one um, um, priority is creating a safe community. So everything we do at public safety, every initiative, every program, every strategy, we look at through the lens of will that help us create a safe community? Uh, so that's our, our overall goal. And the number one piece of that is the reduction of gun violence in our community. Um, we know that as long as we're having gun violence and people living in fear of gun violence, um, we can't thrive as a community. So really that is our number one focus is to create a safe community so other 
um, strategies can move forward, whether it's through public safety or other city departments. Um, so we look at, uh, if you see up there, really our focus is on strategic interventions, focused interventions on those who are at risk of committing or being victims of gun violence. So we are gonna to continue to hold our weekly crime reduction meetings, identifying those individuals who are at risk, um, again, either for being a victim or um, committing gun violence, and we'll tailor individual strategies at those individuals. So everything we look at is tailored at the, at the individual, whether it's through outreach or enforcement or a combination of both. And that's what's, uh, what we've built at Public Safety over the last many years is where our outreach and enforcement are working hand in hand and in collaboration with one another. They're not separate pieces of the overall violence reduction strategy. They work in partnership with one another and that's where we're having the most success. So for example, if we have an individual who is committing gun violence through our gun violence intervention strategies, we may look at the enforcement piece. We might need to protect the community from them. So our proactive pieces of the organization, such as our crime reduction team, patrol, detectives, community policing officers, may look at um, strategies to um, pull levers to calm them down, maybe uh, get them off the streets for a while through uh, arrests or interventions. And then we'll look at how our outreach team through group violence intervention can interact with them um, through our street outreach team and our officers going door to door, talking to these individuals, trying to feed them into services. Um, and our main social service partner through our group violence intervention strategy is Urban Alliance. So Urban Alliance has a lot of the resources in-house that can help some of these at-risk individuals. So it's again those community partnerships and collaboration. In 2023, we're really gonna build on our youth interventions because we really saw in the last two years an increase in youth-involved gun violence. So really, uh, we need to focus on those who we have strategies that have been proven and are working, such as our Bridging Opportunity, um, which is in partnership with Boys and Girls Club and the courts and probation. Um, so that's a year-round program. We expanded that year-round now. It's not just a summer program, but those youth are engaging in the program throughout the school year. Um, and we only have about six kids actively engaged in that now. Um, but that's only one piece of it. We were looking to expand that. So right now we've been in talks with Kalamazoo Public Schools, with Griffin Place, and with ISK Integrated Services of Kalamazoo to look at pre-arrest diversion strategies for our youth, especially our youth that um, we see um, when they're at a young age, 10, 12, 13, 14, that they are exhibiting behaviors that may, might lead to uh, crime, um, especially as they get older. So what can we do to intervene before they get in the juvenile justice system? So we really wanna do pre-arrest diversion strategies through our partnerships in identifying individual services for those youth so they don't end up in the juvenile justice system. Because we know many times that the juvenile justice system isn't a solution. Um, in fact, many times it can make things worse once kids get in that system. So how can we prevent those young kids from coming up to getting in that system? So we're really looking to expand that through our, our partnership. Um, the also, uh, the, the other thing that's a focus that will continue to be a focus in 2022 and uh, the rest of this year and in 2023 is our increased focus on our marginalized community. When I talk about marginalized community, I'm talking about our houseless community, um, those suffering um, severe mental illness, substance abuse, or sometimes a combination of all three of those. What can we do? Because many times the police, we are the ones that get called when someone is in crisis, and we're not always, law enforcement isn't always the answer, and oftentimes it's not the best solution to the problem. Um, we can temporarily 
deal with the problem, but usually if, if you're just looking at it through a law enforcement lens alone, it's a temporary solution. It's not a long-term fix. So what can we do to bring long-term uh, solutions to this? So one of the things that we created in June of 2022 was our community service team. And that was a sergeant, an officer, and our social service advocate, uh, who's a non-sworn person, uh, all working together uh, to really address this population who results in repeat calls for service on the police and fire and rescue side. And what can we do? What strategies can they leverage throughout the community to help reduce those repeat calls for service and get them more long-term solutions to their problem, not just uh, a temporary fix. So we have really um, built on that collaboration. So we're having monthly meetings. Uh, in fact, the next meeting we have is December 15th. Um, with our coalition that we've built. And that's one thing that public safety has taken the lead on. Same with the gun violence is really bringing together other community organizations who are doing this work individually and breaking down those silos so we're all communicating with one another and talking and, and public safety can lead that because we know who is calling 911. We know who we are responding to. And many times it's the same individuals that these organizations are dealing with individually. So how can we leverage all of these community resources to work together? So in this group, we have the Disability Network, um, Integrated Services of Kalamazoo, Gospel Mission, uh, Kalamazoo Gospel Mission, Ministry with Community, Lowe's and Fishes, Housing Resources Incorporated, WMU Street Medicine, YWCA, Animals Best Friend, because a lot of these individuals have pets, um, and that's a barrier sometimes to getting services, and then Griffin Place as well. So, so far in the about six months that we've had this team up and running, we've had over, made over 130 contacts and referrals to other organizations to really help identify long-term solutions to their, to their problems. And so, again, uh, the relationships that um, our team has been building with these individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis is really starting to pay off and they're becoming more trusting of the system and they're um, engaging in services more than they used to um, before those relationships. So that's really important to continue that. Um, and that kind of fits in with the um, other piece of that is the enhanced downtown presence. So it's been a focus of ours to really increase our presence um, downtown. Um, to that end, we um, have identified a substation, uh, station number one, which is gonna be at 248 North Mall, which will be the north end of the mall. Um, and we're gonna have our community service team that I just talked about, our community policing officers and our social service advocate all working out of that space. So it's centrally located um, and with a lot of these uh, folks that are having these issues. So it'll be a place where um, we're gonna increase, increase our visibility downtown and we'll also have a space for, uh, to use for community members to come in to have meetings um, and really work with, with some of these uh, individuals. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. So we have the space, we have the lease and we're in the design phase now um, for some uh, remodeling, not extensive remodeling, so it shouldn't be too long before we can get in that space and, and utilize it. Um, so uh, again, we uh, think that as we continue with this, uh, really we're gonna be measuring our programs, our initiatives to see if they're being effective. And we, um, uh, we have some very good um, analysts at Kalamazoo Department of Public Safety to help us track this again when we look at downtown we look at everyday calls for service downtown identifying repeat individuals who may be causing those services and get our community service team to engage with those individuals and then we're also looking to make sure that our officers are being proactive and doing the directive patrols and the foot patrols and uh, stuff that we ask them to do so we look at that every day and then we look at all these things that we're doing to see if it is making uh, leading to the result which we want which is to create a safer community and we measure that 
through reduced reduce crime. So if you uh, look at the next slide, um, this data um, is this year at this time compared to last year at this time to see if we are having a positive impact on some of these uh, measures that we look at um, regarding uh, violent crime and property crime. So uh, if you look at uh, this time um, uh, compared to last year, um, we're down 11% in violent crime, down 1% in property crime, and 16% uh, in assaults with firearms, and 33% uh, reduction from this time last year in motor vehicle theft. So a lot of these strategies that we see are starting to work um, as we come out of the pandemic and move forward. We're hoping that they'll even be more successful, and so we'll continue with these strategies um, with, with your support. So thank you. Any questions? <clears throat> I just just want to make a couple comments, and you know, one of them exactly germane to what you know, what uh, you're talking about here, and one just in addition. But because I work at ISK and in the department that has the the most ongoing relationship with KDPS, I can just say this from my personal experience that we have never had a better uh, real time relationship. And I really appreciate the efforts that are coming from your department in terms of reaching out and help organizing that. You're not taking a passive role, you're taking a very proactive role. And I think that's, that's really, really helping. And I think that we're just beginning to see uh, what the positive effects are gonna be out of pulling folks together and working better together. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, I don't know if there's another time to talk about this. I know we're talking about safe community, but if you just wanna talk a little bit about recruiting and yeah. you know as far as that goes we we had a recent uh uh i think it was the friday email uh showed a picture of a new group of recruits you have which is uh i was very proud to see is more diverse group than we have been seen in the past i'm really hope that's a trend so i don't know if you just want to talk about that a little bit but it was i know you still got efforts going on that side Yes, thank you, Mary. Yes, we just have seven conditional offers. Uh, and I really want to acknowledge the hard work of our recruiting uh, team, our, re our lead recruiters. So that's one thing we've really beefed up is our recruiting team. So we've selected two individuals, uh, Lieutenant Lakeisha Jones and Sergeant Fidel Morales as our lead recruiters. And then we revamped the recruiting team. And that's just getting established now, but a lot of this, uh, the torch has been carried by Sergeant uh, Morales. Um, in this last couple of years, and we're really seeing uh, that those efforts pay off because he's really connecting with those individuals who apply and following them throughout the process. So on the phone with them, talking to them, talking through uh, the deadlines and what they need to do, and, and I think those connections are really paying off, and I was very proud to see the diversity that we've had in that group. I know it's been a charge uh, to, uh, from the city commission to have local and diverse uh, officers in our hiring group, and we do have some of those. Uh, and some individuals, some great, uh, great life stories in that, and that they're going to bring a lot to the table when it comes to helping us uh, build relationships, relationships and trust with our community. So yes, thank you for that. Um, um, so looking forward to seeing those uh, new individuals uh, when they get through their training. Vice Mayor. Thank you, Chief. Uh, um, I really lo love the prevention aspects and the focus. So. You're talking about focusing on individuals, um, but how about focusing on hotspots, communities mm -hmm. where this is, uh, where crime is more prevalent? Yep. It, can you say a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so we used to, and we do look at crime mapping to see where things are happening, but in the old way we did policing, we focused too much on the hotspots and not the individuals. And what can happen is a lot of times crime might be happening in a particular neighborhood, but those individuals that are causing the crime might not live in that neighborhood. So if we just look at hotspots and we'll over-police a neighborhood, and a lot of innocent people might get caught up in enforcement because we're policing hotspots. Now, we don't just look at the spots, but who, in the, who is driving those spots, and we deal with those individuals, not areas. Um, so we're not painting areas with that brush, saying it's a high crime area, therefore we need to do more enforcement. No, it's a high crime area. Who is driving that crime? And we'll focus on the individual. And I think that creates a lot more trust in the community because we're not creating that collateral damage, if you will, of innocent people getting pulled over all the time just because they happen to live in a particular neighborhood. Thank you. Commissioner Hess. Uh, yes. So talking about recruiting, we're in another cycle right now, right? Yes. From December 9th to the 23rd? I believe that's when it, yeah, the next hiring cycle is because we uh, are just getting through this one. So uh, we start one right away again. So So can, can you tell people if they're actually watching and are interested in applying where they could go? Yep. Go on our website, uh, KalamazooPublicSafety.org and uh, walks you right through what you need to do. And so please, yeah, we encourage everyone listening, if you know someone, a family member, a friend that's interested in law enforcement, have them get on that website and, uh, and get their application going. Awesome, will do. And I just have to say, I enjoy seeing the coalition building, the collaboration. It seems to be a theme, not only throughout public safety, but throughout all of our departments. It's where we have to go. We have to get out of our silos, we have to get into uh, the unity of the city. So thank you for being a leader in creating that. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Yes, Commissioner Warriors. Um, so we uh, had allocated a million dollars towards gun violence. Um, maybe you can touch on the impact that that had. Um, I know there was specific groups that um, part of that money was allocated to. We had the collaboration with the county and them putting a million dollars towards that. Like, where, and maybe Laura can help you with that. Um, do you feel like we've impacted our community with that? I think, Commissioner, it's kind of too early to tell because a lot of those um, are going to nonprofits that are just kind of, um, some programs are just kind of getting up and running. Um, so uh, we know that it has, some has gone to established um, community uh, partners such as Urban Alliance who, we work with through our change of status, uh, which a lot of our group bounce intervention folks participate in. Um, so, and that's that's obviously been working very well. And I've been meeting with other folks in the community about some ideas and strategies they have in place. So, again, I think it, it's kind of too early to tell what impact that has had, but hopefully that will um, continue to grow as uh, these folks uh, get things up and running. Christian Evening there, Chief. Uh, thanks for being there. Um, question for you about um, the recruiting and retention bonuses. I know that's uh, proposed in the budget. Uh, just wondering if you could kind of speak to that again for those who might not have heard before. Yes, thanks, Commissioner. We're uh, proposing um, for the, uh, with ARPA funds for the 2023 budget, a um, uh, retention and uh, hiring, uh, re uh, recruiting bonus, if you will, for um, individuals who are um, maybe a police officer somewhere else and they're looking to maybe uh, apply at public safety and we get, we'll give them uh, a cash bonus to help them 
uh, maybe absorb an initial cut and pay when you come in at a new agency at a training wage when you've been established at the department. Um, so uh, we're hoping to really beef up um, officers that are coming here with some experience because we know those individuals that are already police officers know what they're getting into and the retention is usually a lot better for those folks than people who decide to change careers and come into law enforcement. Sometimes we have a hard time um, retaining some of those individuals after we invest all that money in training. So from the front end, we're gonna look at really getting the uh, lateral transfer bonus, if you will, for folks coming. We're proposing uh, $10,000 uh, if you come in with prior police or fire experience up front, and then once you complete training, an additional 5,000. Um, but again, it's costing about 19,000 to put them through a police academy and fire academy and all that. So if we could, that'd be a cost savings really for us. We won't have to do that. Um, and then for our folks, again, I think it's really important, I'm getting feedback here, but it's really important for our officers who um, are, have been working hard. I mean, very hard over the last couple of years. And let's face it, it's been a very difficult environment to work in in law enforcement for the last couple of years in particular. Um, our officers, men and women are working hard every day. Um, and we, um, it's important to give them a retention bonus because um, we are losing some officers. We have officers that are looking uh, to go maybe um, in another career altogether or maybe um, another agency where they might not be quite as busy or not asked to do police, fire, and EMS. So what can we do to, to retain all, those, all that talent and investment uh, that we have in those individuals? So um, it's, um, yes, it's been very um, well received by our staff, so uh, hopefully that can move forward. For um, the <clears throat> capital improvements program budget, uh, there's $650,000 listed for heavy equipment. Do you know if that, uh, off the top of your head, what that's for? Uh, just primarily just uh, vehicle replacement or? Um, that would be for, I believe, our new truck six that we're um, proposing. Um, so um, most of our budget is um, uh, personnel. Uh, so we have uh, some discretionary things, including um, replacement of our um, truck six uh, and then equipment to outfit that. So that is, is one of the things. Cool. And one of the other uh, major items was the $450,000 for software upgrades. Um, yeah, that's, you know what, when I started in law enforcement, um, there wasn't a lot of software packages that we needed and it seems like everything is a software upgrade that we need now. So um, that is uh, something ongoing that uh, is unfortunately something we have to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I was going to ask you as well is in terms of uh, the $2.1 million devoted to youth this summer, uh, you know, in your opinion and assessment of just seeing the landscape, we heard that something like 3,400 youth were utilized those program dollars this summer. Um, do you feel like that has a youth uh, impact on youth in our, our community in terms of public safety's um, just pulse of the environment or um, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely, and I know Director McBerry will be talking about our Police Athletic League. That's why I didn't want to talk about it because he's going to be bringing that up. But yes, those are very important programs to get our youth engaged in something positive and to create um, opportunities to build positive relationships with our youth. And the one thing I really want to look at um, going forward in 2023 is really um, making sure that we are getting the right kids in those programs. Again, if we're looking at through the lens of trying to create a safer community, reducing crime, it's really important that we identify those, maybe some of those at-risk kids that I talked about that may be subject to our, hopefully our diversion, and maybe part of that diversion would be, hey, you know, would you be interested in joining PAL and getting them in, involved in something positive? So, yes, I think that is a very important uh, piece of our um, safe community strategy. Um, uh, maybe this is for Jim. Jim, uh, is our DEI director 
going to meet with all of the directors of our departments? Yeah, she already has. Oh, she has? But, and we'll continue to work with them. Okay, and you met with her already? Yes. Yeah. How, how's that going? It's going great. I can't say anything. She's, she's right behind me. She's, she's going to be yeah. speaking yeah. to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. About just making it. sure. I just want to make sure. Yeah. No, we, we, and we have ongoing meetings too that we just, you know, just to, to talk. So that's a really good resource to have and, and to, that we can run things by and, and bounce ideas off of. Any other questions? Management, sir. All right. Well, thank you, David. Next, we have our public services director, James Baker. He'll be continuing to talk about safe community, but as it relates to roads and utilities. Thank you, city manager. Uh, good evening, uh, your honor, mayor, city commissioner, city attorney. Um, as the city manager stated, uh, we're focusing on safe community from the lens of public services as well as public safety. And when we look at safety on our streets, we really need to look at um, how we can make our streets safer for all of our modes of transportation. And that includes motorized vehicles and non-motorized vehicles to include pedestrian and bicyclists as well. So when we look at that overall safety package, we're looking at kind of a three-legged stool and that includes engineering, enforcement and education and so uh, through the engine we represent the engineering aspect of that that's uh, construction and things that uh, are done to the roadways to help um, inform drivers through some positive feedback uh, to their surroundings um, in terms of, of driving and negotiating uh, these roadways so we've got a lot of projects that we kind of talk about here and uh, some successes that we've had in, in 2022 um, including 11 um, new speed bumps that we've we installed in our neighborhoods. Um, that's something that we wanted to highlight in that uh, that work is really new for public services. We have not been doing these sorts of traffic uh, control of, or um, traffic calming since 2017. So 2017 is when we started a lot of this work. And you know, this, there's a lot of changes happening. Um, some of this stuff uh, we're learning more from. Uh, some of this work is pilot in nature so that we've got it out there. We're tracking to see how the performance uh, works, how our, our ability to maintain it uh, shakes out over a few years. Um, and so something to just keep in mind as we look um, and we start making changes on roadways. So going back to where we took over uh, Michigan Department of Transportation Controlled Roadways. Uh, so th these were a lot of our street takeovers that occurred in our, in our downtown area. And those streets were predominantly one way um, and those streets were designed um, leading up to 1964 when uh, they were essentially built to increase speed and connect folks to the new interstate highway system that was present now in Kalamazoo. So I-94 was completed through Kalamazoo in 1959. US-131 was completed through Kalamazoo in 1965. Between that, 1964, MDOT control, took control over these roadways optimize the roadway widths, optimize the roadway um, intersections and configurations and lane usage to increase speed through Kalamazoo to connect folks to the interstate highway system. Uh, we've heard from business owners over the series of years, we've heard through engagements, um, through our partnerships with CPED, that the community desires something different and the community desires something safer. And that is the work uh, that we are engaged in. 
Shifting gears here a little bit to um, some of the great work we've been doing within the water uh, department. Uh, we continue our partnership with uh, CPED on, in home safety, you know, really looking at lead paint, um, home uh, paint remediation. So this is really a, a project that CPED's working on. Uh, I'm not gonna even attempt to steal the thunder in that one, but it's on our slide, so I'll, I'll talk through it. Um, one of the partnerships that we had was delivering lead filters to homes. Um, that's something that uh, we're not required by the regulation to do that, um, but when looking uh, through the lens of enhancing or improving public health, that's something that we're committed to do and that's something that we wanted to do. Um, early in the year, we, we were challenged by a few city commissioners um, that asked the question, why don't you give these to everybody at their house? Um, you know, why don't we do that? And so that's the work we set to do throughout the summer. It was a lot of uh, walking neighborhoods and door knocking, partnership with Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, and we were uh, resoundingly successful in delivering over 7,000 filters to families here in Kalamazoo. We we're also extremely successful with lead service line replacements. Uh, we've installed over 808 lead service line replacements this year through November 30th. So that number will increase by year end because we're still out there doing that work. Um, this was not without challenge. We had a lot of uh, challenges in front of us to get this work out. Uh, we saw um, April, May, and June that we completed zero lead service line replacements. Um, that was due to a number of factors, primarily uh, supply chain challenges in that we were not able to obtain the brass, the fittings, the parts and pieces that we need to have on hand to install in these water services. Uh, we had a lot of great individual success um, and a lot of great team success in the Department of Public Services to make this happen and to have a very successful year. So lead service line replacements, uh, kind of inception to date, about 4,018 lead service line replacements. Um, our total um, overall amount of lead services out there is about 10,000. Uh, so we, um, we plan or we anticipate that we should be about 50% completed with all lead service lines in the year of 2024. Starting next year, uh, we'll be going to work on uh, receiving over $16 million in grant funds as we continue our project in North Kalamazoo area. So that includes Kalamazoo Northside neighborhood, also includes um, Kalamazoo's West Douglas, Fairmount neighborhoods, portions of Stewart neighborhood, and it also includes Kalamazoo Township in an area that goes all the way over to Nichols Road uh, to the west and then all the way north uh, to Mazel and all the way east back to, to um, the Kalamazoo River. We've already worked on 37 streets in Northside, so a lot of that work is done, but we're, we're still continuing that work. About a $20 million project of which 16.1 million in grant. That's something to be proud of that is competitive and we are competing against other communities to receive that. So that's, you know, again, great work by public services staff to, to get that completed. Kind of talking back about streets now, um, as we um, shift gears between um, safe community and connected city, uh, we've got a lot of work now that we're doing on, on sidewalks. That's another thing that um, prior to 2017, we didn't have the financial capacity to be able to do that. Uh, we're able to do that now thanks to FFE and other funding sources, and we're you know, continuing that work in, in 2023. So all the stats that you have in front of you here with uh, 26 lane miles of street repair or restoration, that's all work that's gonna happen um, next year in, in 2023. Um, something to note about the 2022 sidewalks, we didn't get that full 
list completed. Um, that list is available online, so whatever we didn't complete, we're gonna start 2023 off with, with that list. Um, one project we really wanted to highlight up front uh, was Michigan Avenue. So this is not the two-way project, um, but we are gonna be working on some um, lane assignment designation improvements. You know, so there's, there's areas on Michigan Ave where uh, you turn, you might be in, in one lane and you're set in a two or your two is set in a one. So we're gonna improve that. We're also gonna be adding bicycle facilities on Michigan Avenue um, and some additional parking facilities. Again, we're working to, um, as I stated earlier, take a roadway that was optimized to increase speed and connect people to the, the interstate highway system. And we're gonna look to optimize that for you know, essentially local transportation so that folks can enjoy our community, can shop at our downtown businesses, and um, all modes of transportation, including bicyclists and pedestrians can feel um, safe. So I'm uh, gonna be joined here by um, Director Antonio Mitchell uh, as we kind of share environmental responsibility. Um, I'm gonna talk about our, our tree planting program um, we've got in 2022 about 300 trees that uh, we're working on to install. As we transition to 2023, we're gonna look to increase that. Uh, we've got some increased funding within that program, so we're gonna hope to plant uh, 400 trees uh, with that next, so that bid will be coming out. Um, that work also includes uh, tree trimming and tree maintenance, which is also an important uh, piece of, you know, kind of preserving uh, that, that in infrastructure element. We're also gonna be doing work on storm, uh, storm, storm sewer system through Catch Basin. Um, there's kind of two projects. One is to do some inspections, and then the other project is to actually go out and line some of these structures to, to improve them and extend their useful life. Um, we also you know, wanna highlight our work that we do at the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, so there's gonna be over $25 million of continued investment into the wastewater treatment plant. And of course, um, you know, we've got defined uh, budget priorities outlined there. Uh, I did also want to highlight that we achieve over 99% permit compliance um, at the treatment plant, and that's something that we want to continue. So with that, pass it off to Mr. Mitchell. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good evening, uh, Mayor, Vice Mayor, City Manager, City Attorney, and Commissioners. Um, thank you for having us again tonight to talk about these important projects. As you can see at the beginning of this is hiring a community planner for sustainability. As you see, as we're growing and expanding, we're doing, as, um, as um, Director Baker talked about and other staff talk about, we're doing a, a lot of collaboration with other departments, a lot of planning, um, a lot of um, strategic analysis of downtown and surrounding area, and we need more capacity to assist with that um, process of doing planning and sustaining um, those plans and communicating directly with the community as well as yourself on what those stages are and what's being implemented, including some of the, um, a lot of the infrastructure communication. Uh, one thing that's been um, great is that we've been uh, working a lot with our neighborhood associations um, to discuss um, not only what's being planned, but how um, the city's plans tie into their neighborhood plans as well. And so this will also assist in that process with that communication and information sharing with the community. Um, next bullet point is continue Kalamazoo Roots Garden Program. Um, that's in our Imagine Kalamazoo 2025 um, initiative. Um, it's also on our city website that talks about um, our collaboration with um, 
pretty much the Kalamazoo Valley Community College Food um, Innovation Center and working on community gardening with uh, uh, potted plants, uh, vegetables, things like that, and doing um, individual training and classes. Um, some of those classes also could be, could be uh, completed on, online, working virtually, uh, but the initiative um, before, say before COVID, um, was to bring community members together um, into classrooms to show them how to garden, not only, um, of course, um, plants, but also vegetables, so they can create their own uh, community gardens in their yards. Um, so working with uh, Kalamazoo Valley um, on that process, um, that training is at the Crosstown um, Gardening uh, Facility next to KPS um, on Crosstown, and a lot of those classes are done there um, to assist individuals to learn those skills and capabilities. So that will continue. And then Green Affordable Housing Pilot, um, that's an initiative pretty much to assist with um, weatherizing existing housing. Um, we have a older housing stock um, in Kalamazoo, so we've created this program to assist with working with um, pretty much KNHS and Green Home Institute to assist with working with existing um, homeowners, um, especially our older stock of housing for um, doing more weather, weatherization of those properties. And then we're also um, working with KNHS with a lot of our new constructive housing that we're working with them on making those houses more green and energy efficient um, for long-term um, energy saving. And now economic vitality is me as well. I got the next couple of slides and I'll be putting on my glasses off and on, sorry to tell you, because I'm getting a little older, um, I need them. Um, can do Kalamazoo, $100,000. That is for our um, new incubator that's going into Vine neighborhood. Um, that is an initiative with, um, used to be Kalamazoo um, Kitchen, and they've expanded their um, capacity to assist more um, businesses outside of just restaurants. Um, and we're assisting that process. Um, we're gonna be creating um, also a little business training center inside of this incubator that our staff will be working with, um, hopefully local trainers to assist small businesses, in, in particular micro businesses in their growth and development. And we'll be, we'll be hopefully in the near future going into hopefully 2024, focusing on more home-based business development um, and assisting with additional dollars to assist with that growth and development as well. Um, and we'll have more information on, on that. Um, minority contractors, we're assisting with trying to expand the platform of minority contractors in the community as well. So we're doing a training component that will be hopefully um, supported at the incubator. Um, right now, a lot of that training is happening in our CPAD office um, here in downtown that we're um, utilizing um, trainers to come to our office and do usually three hours of training in the evening. Uh, for one program to assist uh, contractors get certain certifications so that they can bid on uh, projects here locally and hopefully uh, for the city as well in the future with their certifications. Um, as you can see right here, this is East Michigan Avenue. Um, this is one of our facade programs, um, one of the 15. Um, if you've hopefully gone down Mich East Michigan Avenue lately, you see a lot of new paint and a lot of new development. Uh, we're working with the Neighborhood Association on that corridor. Uh, they have a project um, that's coming. Uh, it's going to be probably a coffee shop 
Um, they're going to own the building. Um, they already have a tenant committed to that space, um, which is going to activate that area. We have plans to assist with a couple more facades on, on that street line. We hopefully will be working on some, um, as they say, some curve appeal development with, um, with public services with our collaboration to assist with um, the landscaping and beautification of that area. That'll be in the future. Um, you'll be hearing more about that down the road. And also uh, what you can see is uh, we have uh, the interior, which is our white box program, which um, some businesses are taking advantage of both of um, these components of fixing not only the outside, but the inside of the building. So pretty much that's um, either working with existing tenant, um, as explained in the past, to build out that space to fit their needs, or working with um, a um, um, property owner to prep space for a new tenant to go into that space. Um, so we've done uh, we, a goal of 15 on, of each for facade and 15 for the white box. And what our business technical assistance, which is a $5,000 grant, is the goal is to work with 60 businesses. Most of those businesses will be micro businesses, less than 10 people uh, working for those businesses. A number of those businesses we found out are um, home-based businesses. That's why we're going in that direction to assist that expansion and growth. Um, we're at last year, at least 70, 75% were um, minority-owned businesses, women in minority businesses um, in the community. Um, half of those businesses were in our um, SBK neighborhoods as well, um, which has been exciting to see the growth and commitment of that um, program hitting those neighborhoods. And then 100 businesses to receive capacity building um, training funds. And that's, um, as I stated, um, we're really focused on um, helping small businesses get the training and skill capabilities to not only sustain their business, um, but grow their businesses um, as much as possible in the community. The key with number of these programs that I've been talking about is that you have these are not startup business focused. This is a business that have to be least um, open for at least a year in the city of Kalamazoo. So this is not startup. Hopefully in the next year and a half, um, part of our Imagine Kalamazoo 2035 initiative will be to work with startup businesses in the community on a small scale component um, that we'll probably discuss in the future uh, working with um, the new incubator. Um, 25,000 businesses got funding uh, for at least one business in 2023. Uh, pretty much this is gap financing for existing businesses that are expanding and they need assistance. They need to close that gap. Um, this has not been taken advantage of a lot um, for businesses expanding and growing. We don't know why, um, but um, we used to have $100,000. As you can see, it's going down to $25,000. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to assist um, Usually the goal is to assist businesses outside of the downtown area. Um, so that's maybe one of the reasons as well is that it's not focused on the core um, downtown area, but more of the neighborhoods. And then we have um, the $500,000 for a complete downtown placemaking improvement. Um, hopefully for the community, this is an important because um, we brought in um, pretty much Notre Dame um, to give a great presentation um, to the community on what we need to do as a city to activate open spaces and spaces um, in our downtown area. And this um, initiative of dollars is to assist in that process. Um, more information can be um, seen on our, um, our website on that Notre Dame um, community plan um, that was put together. Hopefully the community attended and saw some of the drawings of 
um, creating additional space in our downtown area, and this is part of that funding going towards that initiative. And then share prosperity, um, you see the 128 new housing um, units um, plan. Um, we will discuss um, the housing initiative um, as the city manager spoke about um, in January on the 17th um, at the Cal meeting. And we'll be talking about now the, the, the 128, but other initiatives of development that are happening in the city to really pinpoint how much um, housing is planned for the community. Um, that um, a lot of this core development that we're having in downtown, um, there's as I say, more to come, much more to come. And the importance of um, Director Baker pointing out um, how our street designs need to change because of the safety of individuals walking and biking in our core area um, is very important for um, not only the main developments that are happening, but the increased population we're gonna have in our core um, community. Um, clearing uh, cloudy title and foreclosure prevention, that has been a successful program um, and pretty much um, from the information that's been shared with me, uh, we're batting 100, as they say, in, uh, in prevention and assistance for individuals that reach out um, to for prevention for foreclosure um, assistance. And that has been a partnership with the county, uh, with the city, working with that initiative to assist individuals to keep their homes. Um, and that has been uh, very productive. And then multi-year SPK programs, as you can see, there's a number of programs. Um, the importance of this is in shared prosperity, I think a lot of people don't understand that this initiative really focuses on um, a little bit out of the wheelhouse of what we do in community development. Community development used to talk about housing development initiative. Uh, what has happened with Foundation for Excellence has um, given us as a city additional flexibility to really focus on some supportive services type um, initiatives to help families um, be um, more sustainable in their um, ability to grow and expand and be successful in the city. And this is a number of those programs. I will go through them as quickly as possible. Um, the KC Ready for um, preschool based uh, family support. So pretty much the whole objective here is on preschool-based family support is to increase the number of three-year-olds to provide um, tuition assistance so those individuals can assist those families uh, take advantage of those opportunities for, um, for um, pretty much preschool uh, initiative engagement. Um, then you got the KNHS uh, Pathway Home Partnership. Um, and the whole idea there is, is to assist with financial uh, capacity building, education and coaching, assist with um, down payment and leasing purchasing incentives, savings incentives, financial uh, product, um, um, education, understanding affordability and savings and planning uh, to assist families in that initiative. Um, and then we have the My City 2 Gen, uh, which is uh, pretty much a pilot element uh, consistently working with adults and trying to work with families to work with their youth uh, with assisting with um, youth employment programming and engagement in, in that area. And then you have uh, residents uh, implementing um, our plan collaborative, that's with NACD, and that's neighborhood-based training for health, construction, technology, uh, nutrition care, um, and education. Um, this initiative has been uh, very successful in the sense of expanding NACD's capability of their looking at 
creating more of a training center um, in the future, uh, which will expand their capacity to provide additional training in these areas um, to the, the local residents in the neighborhood, uh, which, which is really important for individuals to be able to walk to um, opportunity for additional training that assists them to um, have um, better employment opportunities. And hopefully, um, um, as I say, in the future, we'll come back and be talking about that growth and expansion of that, that initiative. Um, early childhood business um, incubation, um, best baby zone on Northside um, is the YWCA early childhood um, care service development via early education business incubation. Um, and so that's the process of working with early childhood development and working with families and parents, um, in particular single moms in that process. Um, volunteer income tax assistance is uh, pretty much a program to help improve um, economic um, assistance with um, individuals to take advantage of um, applying for their taxes and giving them assistance through that process. And it's really focused on affordable housing uh, families to make sure now they're filing um, their taxes, but getting the assistance to file their taxes correctly. Um, and then TriShare, um, that is Southwest um, Child Care Resources uh, Program. And the purpose of that project is to increase access to high quality affordable care for working families. And that's to assist with daycare assistance. Um, so individual uh, families can um, not only access affordable daycare, but a focus on individuals that are trying to uh, quote unquote get a, um, a step up in job opportunity. Uh, but of course, um, the barrier is daycare. So this program is to assist with reducing that daycare costs and access. Um, so individuals can take advantage of um, job opportunities in the community that they would not have a chance um, to take advantage of if they didn't have a program like this. And then we have um, Higher Reach, which is a WF John Institute um, collaboration uh, to assist in working with employers to work on barriers, working with families uh, to break down those barriers like transportation, healthcare, um, daycare and other items um, that um, some employers um, say that their um, employees are running into. And this is the program to assist in that process. Um, Spindler Learning um, is a support uh, five core neighborhood schools to assist in learning experience through the year for their um, students and work with the students to take advantage of uh, additional um, learning experiences and also to work with those schools to work with uh, the families to assist more families to participate in um, their PTOs and classroom um, programming um, that sometimes parents have not been uh, participating in our core neighborhoods. So initiative here is to engage families more um, with um, this initiative working with KPS um, to help them um, help parents be more um, involved in participation in their school activities with their children. And I think that was, sorry, going glasses on. That was it. Now, complete neighborhoods, that's mine as well. Now this initiative is part of uh, community plan economic development. Um, and this is part of our community engagement initiative. Um, as I stated earlier, we've been working with um, Council of Public Services, uh, with Director Baker, we've been working with Public Safety, with uh, Chief Boyson and his staff. 
Um, and we've been working with Parks and Rec as well um, to assist them with uh, community engagement and involvement. And part of that initiative is the goal is to um, have uh, at least an average of 40 people per engagement. Um, we try to make those engagements um, as uh, fun and fulfilled as possible to have more participation uh, with families and individuals in the neighborhoods. And that will be the continued mission is to make that more of a um, positive experience for um, the residents um, as we work with them to educate them on all the projects and development that's happening in the community and also program opportunities that are being provided by the city and other services um, that provide um, neighborhood services. Um, Stewart and West Neighborhood Plans, um, we work with, um, as we said, Magic Capital 2025 with our neighborhoods to create neighborhood plans. The, the next two that are coming up that will come across, as I say, your desk as mayor and commissioners is, hopefully in early 2023, is the Stewart and Westwood neighborhood plans that are being worked on right now. So hopefully you'll be able to see those plans. And what's unique about um, our neighborhood plans that they're all different. Um, so it's, it's, it's good for not only uh, the mayor commissioners to pay attention to what neighbors are doing differently, but also uh, for the residents to be able to go look in their neighborhood and see what's um, being initiated by their neighborhood association for um, what's important um, or what's, what they have informed us um, in their plan, what's important that they, they are trying to initiate. Um, the goal is to hopefully, as they say, be able to initiate um, at least one to two plans a year. And right now, one of um, the interesting things that we're working on is we're working with Western Michigan University um, for them to create a neighborhood plan. And we're working with their um, students to assist in that process and Western Michigan staff to, for them to create a neighborhood plan similar to what our neighborhood's been creating. So we would like to have a quote unquote neighborhood plan for our Western Michigan University campus in that surrounding area. So they are um, not only engaged in being involved with the city of Kalamazoo, but they feel a part of the city of Kalamazoo because we're assisting in them um, initiating how they want to be quote unquote not only perceived, but accepted as residents um, of the city of Kalamazoo. So hopefully we'll get that, um, hopefully started officially in 2023, is uh, right now being, the details are being worked out by staff to assist in that process. Um, another um, one that's being worked on is West Main Hill um, Neighborhood Association um, initiative of, their, of a plan for them. And so hopefully that will be initiated as well in 2023 and be coming to you hopefully sometime um, late 2023 so you can see what their initiatives are and their their purpose and plans. So the goal of the four projects implementation um, in the neighborhoods is important that we highlight and not only show what's happening in the neighborhoods but be clear that every neighborhood has different initiatives and every neighborhood doesn't participate in the same programming. Um, and most of the time that's because of the capacity of the neighborhood association or they may not, they may have a one person, they may have three or four people in the neighborhood association or it may be a strong um, base of residents that are working together, which means they can't take on as many projets as, as set forth um, to do 
major um, development. So we have projects as small as you know, installing bike racks in the neighborhoods um, to working on uh, Ransom Street Development um, Initiative uh, on the north side. Uh, we have new um, business signs being developed as a priority for a neighborhood. We have um, the neighborhood working with us to help do events like working with Metro to understand how Metro works and how to um, work with the schedule, work with the apps, works with putting a bike you know, on the front of uh, Metro, how that process works, and how um, the, the system of Metro can assist them for their transportation other than, um, quote unquote, having a car so they can be as green as possible. Um, and then last but not least, 322 Stockbridge uh, study and demo demolition. Um, 322 Stockbridge is across from um, our public services um, building on Stockbridge. Um, used to be DHHS's location, also the old bingo hall is there as well. Um, that is in a floodplain, and we are looking at how to re redevelop that into um, mixed-use development housing um, over a period of time. Um, but first, we need to remove the structures on that on that space. Um, another component we'll be hopefully working with on Director Baker on is how do we um, deal with the flooding issue in that area and create hopefully some additional. Uh, remediation that can sustain more water in that area that's not going into the homes in that surrounding area, which we've had complaints consistently about that. Um, we would like to let the public know we are working on those things, uh, but they are um, timely, costly, and required a lot of planning um, beyond just um, infrastructure, um, but a lot of um, moving of dirt and water, as they say. Um, but that'll be um, something that'll be discussed in the future. And that would be it for me. Any questions? Questions, questioners? Vice Mayor Cooney. I think you got a lot on your plate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> so uh, um, I know that there's going to be a committee at a whole meeting on that, but I'll, that 128 new housing units. Where are they planned for, and are they affordable housing? What does it mean, affordable housing? Yeah. Um, they're planned pretty much um, mostly core neighborhoods in the, in the community. Um, definitely SBK neighborhoods, East Side, North Side, um, Edison. Um, and the 128 is um, all um, affordable housing. That's, that's our dollars, affordable housing, working with um, some of our neighborhood associations, um, um, in particular um, NACD, uh, working on some housing development, and also KNHS and Habitat for Humanity and so forth. Um, affordable definition gets interesting. Um, um, pretty much we go by the state's definition of affordable um, in the community. Uh, we add, um, as I say, additional incentives to hit our numbers of what is affordable. Um, I cannot quote that off the top of my head, sorry to say, um, but um, we will talk a little bit more about that in January, um, what that initiative is and how we're trying to create additional incentives to go beyond what the state's requirements of definition of affordable. Okay, so oh, thank you. And then the DHS building, mm -hmm. it's in a floodplain. Yes. And we're gonna build housing on that? Well, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> that's where you got to be creative. Um, 
In the case of, which is interesting about the DHHS building, it sits on an island, it's not in a floodplain. Oh. Um, it's everything around it, which is always interesting how that um, transpired with the state developing that space um, um, in that area. But um, as everyone knows, that area does flood um, because of the Portage Creek right there. Um, it takes on water. Um, and so there needs to be some um, natural feature infrastructure improvements other than sewer and water in that area to make uh, that area be able to sustain more water, uh, which is beyond my education, um, um, but it's something we'll be hopefully working with Director Baker on a plan for that. Okay, thank you. Yes. Other questions, team? Yeah, Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, just a quick question, um, or not questions, but as Commissioner Cooney said regarding the 128 new housing units that are planned and you guys are planning to bring more information to the commission in January um, and you're saying that your affordable numbers are based on the state. So I'm hoping and really looking for that you're going to be able to base that affordability within the residents within Kalamazoo because um, that's really kind of what we need there. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the these new programs, the TriShare program? So from what you said, it was uh, child care resources, daycare assistance. Um, yes, I can talk a little bit more. Um, I don't know that program in details. I just know the scope of the program. Um, uh, from what information um, I've been provided, um, the whole idea is to remove um, barriers for um, child care costs. Um, on that initiative. Um, I can follow up with more information on Friday email um, to assist you with the details of that program and how that program um, works with Southwest um, Child Care uh, Resources specifically. Okay, uh, thank you for that. And again, um, with the higher reach, again, that's again working with and the difficulties that families have within transportation um, are you able to speak on that or can we expect that in the Friday email? Yeah, I'll probably have to give you more information on that. I know a little bit about it, but not enough to be, to give you real details on it, but I can buy additional information Friday as well okay. on that. Thank you. So, Again, back to the TriShare, I'm sorry, because mm -hmm. we are talking about the budget. How much money is allocated for that program? I'll provide details on that as well. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Commissioner Decker. Commissioner Prado. Hey, Director Mitchell, um, thank you for the presentation and going over all that content. I know it's a lot and <clears throat> it's getting kind of late, um, so I appreciate all your time. Um, these are, I guess, a uh, uh, question. I know that we had to prioritize this year and whatnot, but I'm kind of curious about in terms of those home-based grant dollars for businesses, uh, is there any reason why those uh, home-based grant businesses wouldn't be eligible to apply for some of those existing $5,000 grants? Or is it just that in the future you're hoping to have it more 
focused on that niche of, or is it that you're saying like, no, this year we're, we're focused more on brick and mortar location grants, and then yeah. in the future there'd be ones for? Yeah, um, pretty much what, what can make them not eligible is the type of business. Um, is clarifying that it fits under zoning requirements for that location. Mm. Um, also, one major trigger is the business has to be in business at least a year at that location as well. Um, what we didn't know by um, starting, when we started the micro business fund in, in, in the first place was, it was t two components. One, who's out there was one. Um, two was, um, do we have as many um, minority women businesses as we think we do? Um, I've had a lot of individuals come up to me at commission meetings and community meetings saying, why aren't you helping more minority women businesses? And the first question I go, who are they, where are they? Um, so what's happened over the last three years, we've identified um, around 300 um, micro-businesses in the community, um, almost 500 uh, if we combine with United Way. So we have a good ideal now of um, not only the needs of the, but the locations of those businesses. Um, not all businesses need to grow out of their house. Um, they can sustain themselves in their house. Um, they can transition to their garage. We can assist them to re maybe in the future remodel their garage to sustain their business if the zoning permits um, and what that process is. And so we're trying to, as I say, transition into that format. Um, as you stated, uh, we didn't know. Uh, we just knew that there was a need um, and that need has been um, hopefully met significantly um, through um, this commission's approval of funding over the last three to four years. Um, in that direction. Um, so now, because we have a foundation of understanding what, what is out there, um, we know that there's more um, that, um, that can be assisted. But one key factor, um, because we are the city, uh, we need to make sure you are in compliance. Um, so we wanna make sure we can position individuals that um, um, have existing space to make sure they're not only in compliance, but we assist them with that process as well. Um, that is, um, hopefully not a financial burden. And that's the whole idea is to create these new programs in the future to make sure it's not a financial burden for you to be successful with a home-based business. And hopefully um, we would like to see more home-based daycares um, in the future, um, smaller ones, you know, two to three kids. Um, we have a lot of probably aunts. My aunt kept, kept my kids back in the day at a home-based daycare. Um, and I think there's more aunts and grandmothers and sisters um, maybe uncles that are babysitting that we can assist to hopefully get licensed um, that will benefit them and the children that they're taking care of. And that's um, a dream and vision of mine as well. Yeah, I think that's great. I, you know, my only concern is just that we, you know, potentially have this one year gap that we might not be funding those home-based businesses. And I think, you know, now is when it's really hot. And the thing that's unfortunate about that, and I know we have limited number of resources and we have to prioritize somewhere, is just that you think about like top tech companies, you know, that started, you know, if you look at like the top four out of five of them, you know, started as somebody's garage. <clears throat> and so, you know, an idea, you know, which comes into a home-based business becomes something bigger. And even if, you know, one out of every hundred of those small businesses that we support become the next business that, you know, puts Kalamazoo even more on the map because it ends up having a 3,000 person headquarters 10 years from now you know, that's worth taking that risk on everybody. And 
I think you know we're seeing a really big gig economy and home-based economy, and, and we know that disproportionately that people are, who are leading that charge are, are, are women. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I think that's a really worthy um, investment in our community. Um, I also just wanted to applaud you and your team for just uh, looking at early childhood um, initiatives and strategies as well. Uh, a number of us have spent a lot of time on that. Uh, learning more about how it's impacting our community and impacting families, especially in the neighborhoods. Uh, you know, there's a lot of parents who <clears throat> are working, but you know, if you have to take your kid all the way to Ashtimo or Comstock or um, you know, or waiting nine or 12 months to find somewhere, it's it's pretty scary as a parent. It's a mm-hmm. big barrier for uh, you know a number of us to get into the workforce. And so, you know, when we talk about things like you know per poverty percentage in our community and whatnot. There's, there's parents who want to work, mm-hmm. we just can't, you know? Uh, um, and so I think that's a, a huge barrier reducer for us as a community, but also, you know, creating more employment, supporting households, supporting our youth. There's just so many of the, the goals that we set for ourselves as a commission that are served by supporting early childhood. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to give everyone else a chance before I jump back here. Anyone else who has questions for Director Mitchell at this time? Commissioner Hess? What? No? I can't hear you. <laughs> no? You have a question? Oh, we're going to jump back? Okay, yeah. Dr. Baker, you're on. We didn't have questions. Mr. Hess. <laughs> you were trying to get out of questions. I know this. <laughs> Thank you stayed in the front row. <laughs> Thank you, Director Mitchell. Available for questions. <laughs> Just a few. So, so you mentioned these speed humps, the 11 new. Is that for next year, or we put in 11 this year? So that we completed 11 in 2022. Okay, and, and more planned for next year? I don't have the specifics on... Um, speed bumps per se, a lot of our work is focused on, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the term complete streets where we've got defined project areas right. such as um, Fraternity Village Drive. Right. Uh, we're going to be doing a number of traffic calming strategies within a specific area. So I'm not going to rule them out. A lot of times when we're doing local streets, uh, we also have the flexibility um, to put in those speed bumps. So, you know, two examples in 2022 were um, Stewart and Church Street, where we had a local street project. We were doing the paving, and as we did the paving, we evaluated the need for uh, speed bumps, and we did implement speed bumps uh, with that local paving program. So there is some autonomy and some flexibility w- with that. Um, just a curious, what uh, what does what does a speed hump do to snow plowing? I mean, is it an impediment, or um, can we work with that on the streets? Yeah, so we've, you know, essentially we designed the, the speed hump geometry to be able to support our plowing operation. So, um, you know, certainly we've got to be careful with what we do on that speed hump when we are plowing. We've got to recognize that it's there and we've got to take, um, you know, some, some inputs to, to get over and negotiate it. But, um, the, you know, these are humps. You know, oftentimes I refer to them as speed bumps. I'm, you know, like yeah. anybody else, I, you know, have a terminology that I kind of go to for for the installation. But they are different from what you might encounter in a, like a commercial store, parking lot, or apartment building where it's yeah. a very sharp 
jagged response. These are gradual, but they do. Um, there, there is some driver feedback. If you go, um, if you pr approach them over um, with 25 miles an hour, you you will know it. Right. Thank you. And uh, you know, and and I certainly appreciate our city's efforts to calm traffic. It does not come without feedback from the city and from the residents. Um, do you, and you mentioned engineering, enforcement, and education. Uh, I believe we're doing the engineering, um, and uh, enforcement is, is there and coming. Um, what is, is there a plan for education about what we're doing with the roads and why? Because I think people need to know that if they have a why, they can deal with any how. And um, I personally, I'm getting a lot of feedback about the, the roads and, you know, and Commissioner Decker and Commissioner Hoffman and I sat in a, a talk back where people had opinions. And so um, we, I think we need to do greater outreach and education. What is the plan for that? Yeah, so certainly the education is ongoing. You know, we can never do enough education um, and we can never pass up an opportunity for education. So a lot of that is um, kind of engaged with what we've got planned with CPED. When we go out, we interact with um, neighborhood associations. So we are planning to have our traffic engineering team, which, you know, should include our traffic engineer, not that it will include our traffic engineer every time, but there's a team of folks um, and we're going to program them to be at uh, the neighborhood meetings this coming year. They're going to be talking about projects at neighborhood meetings, and then they're also going to be talking about the broader traffic um, things that we're doing. Um, I also note that um, depending on the installation and, and these vary where they're at, um, some of these may have been born out of the neighborhood association themselves. So there are things where we're out doing and implementing what the neighborhood association wanted us to implement. And there's been a long series of engagement and planning and execution with that neighborhood association. And now the broad motoring public is out experiencing that and providing feedback. And they may not have been at that um, long range planning and education opportunities, um, but we welcome to, to kind of bring them along with that. Um, I'd also reference our Imagine Kalamazoo project pages and we've got a tremendous amount of information on traffic calming um, pages and pages and pages of information out there. So if the folks are interested in self-study or interested in doing some you know, research or visiting our website um, on their own, uh, they can guide themselves through that series and series and series of information that's, that's out there. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Commissioner Hess. Commissioner Juarez. Yeah, uh, Director Baker. Um, <clears throat> on my street, on Washington Avenue, between March and James, um, we have an issue with cars going up to about 80, 90 miles per hour on that street with these souped up SRT Dodge, you know, cars. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things where like my kids can't play outside. Um, they can't, you know, they can't ride bikes. They can't go out and enjoy their community. And it's unfortunate but those are the type of things that a lot of residents on the south side, north side, and the east side deal with. So I think the traffic calming stuff is very like priority. You know, a lot of these communities can't function as communities. They have residents that just live in fear, you know? And so I just echo that, you know, 
the traffic calming is super important, especially within those core neighborhoods inside of them, not just on the outside of them. Because I see that we focused on the, the corridors like Portage Road and, you know, all those main roads, you know, it's good, but it gets crazy within the, the core of those neighborhoods. So, yeah, um, um, no, thank you for that, Commissioner Juarez. You know, we'll tell you in terms of um, neighborhoods, um, you know, within the neighborhood itself, We've had a lot of work completed within the Northside neighborhood, um, and so we are looking to, to advance and go out into other neighborhoods. Um, I mentioned during the presentation that our work kind of in this area started in 2017, but we are certainly not done um, with that, and you know, we'd like to make impacts into you know, additional core neighborhoods and work our way out you know, around a community. So, and that's another great point that when you live on a street, you are, affected by how motorists behave and so you know folks come into our neighborhoods and you know behave however they want to um, and then complain about traffic control and things that we're doing to to help um, you know really make our neighborhoods better places to live so thank you for that i know commissioner decker had another question yeah commissioner decker well, I think since we have Director Baker here, I just want to kind of talk to the point of what Commissioner Hess and Commissioner Warhez had talked about. Um, is that I know that you guys, you know, when we had our uh, neighborhood conversation um, with the residents of the Edison, that you guys are actually have are actually looking into you know stop signs in certain areas and kind of doing that, uh, Commissioner Warhez, to kind of calm that traffic. Um, so I appreciate you for that. Um, and I do want to say that when it comes to um, residents in the community talking about certain issues like that, um, 311 is their best friend because it tracks it, it tags it, and it should be going directly to the departments that need this information. Um, and I think that, you know, you guys are going to get, start getting a lot more feedback once we start doing our neighborhood meetings on a monthly basis um, and getting this information back from the neighborhood associations and you know delivering it to uh, city manager Ritzma for him to be able to disperse out to the different departments that they need to go to um, and again this also brings up another point is why it's so important to really create and get your neighborhood associations together because as you said a lot of this input comes from the neighborhood associations Vice Mayor Cooney. So, um, um, Mr. Baker, down here it says 25.7 million continued investment in wastewater treatment and infrastructure. How much of that is being used to control noxious gases, odors, and harmful um, expulsion into the community? Yeah, so uh, great question. Thank you for that, um, Vice Mayor. So, you know, looking at that, that describes our capital budget outlay for fiscal year 2023. Um, there has been over four and a half million dollars of investment um, in the treatment plant um, just within the recent few years on decentralized odor control via carbon scrubber units. Um, so that's been a, a pretty major advancement that we just completed all four uh, carbon scrubber units, one operational in July of 2021. Uh, so we've kind of have about a year experience with those units completely operational. Um, those units require ongoing operations and maintenance. So not described here within the capital is an additional 
approximately $26 million operations and maintenance budget for the wastewater treatment plant. And that's a, a different pot of money. It really just kind of upkeeps everything that we have in place. So um, continuous carbon replacement uh, will be ongoing for those units. Um, there's also our operational uh, focus of EnviroSuite. So you see that EnviroSuite platform is really uh, pretty robust now. It started off um, in the fall of 2019. We've been adding sensors. We've been adding capacity to that program. Um, now that program is pretty sophisticated. We've got um, over 15 sensors that are viewable um, with live data. You can trend um, you know, recent results within that, that sensor itself. You can then go from the website you know, up into uh, an application page on that website and drop down and create your own graphs and trends and, and look at performance over time. Um, there's also a feature that shows each sensor location the annual average H2S for, for that location, and that's updated um, you know, on a routine basis. Um, we've got additional work planned for, for next year to bring in some additional air quality sensors that give folks some, some broader understanding of air quality in, directly in their neighborhood at the street level where they're at. Um, so we're gonna be working with uh, a team um, called Just Air, uh, it's, it's a group that uh, has got some installations throughout the state of Michigan. We're going to be partnering um, with them and we're bringing air quality indicator um, as well. So folks can kind of see, you know, um, other aspects in addition to um, hydrogen sulfide. There's an additional um, capital project that we're going to be starting in 2023. That's the graphic packaging um, clarifier effluent pipe reroute. So, um, their current pipeline to us from their clarifier is going to get rerouted. Uh, we're going to optimize the uh, hydraulics and uh, working to minimize kind of um, older generation from that pipe that comes to us. Uh, so that work will happen in 2023. That's about a $1.7 million project. Um, you should have um, the pipe for that project. We're going to be presenting the purchase, the pipe for that project at your next commission meeting so that we can advance purchase that pipe and have it available uh, for the project next year. There's uh, many numerous additional things that we're doing with um, older control partnerships with uh, graphic packaging and Eagle as well. And then just the overall operation and treatment plant of uh, the operation maintenance of the treatment plant um, that doesn't just stop start stop every day that's a long-term you know program and that's one of our if you look in our in the budget report that was sent out one of our kpis is annual reduction of higher background hydrogen sulfide gas in the community so that's something that uh, we've got a goal for and we're going to continue year over year over year to monitor that and you know support the community as we work together to try to reduce that that number so that's something that we're going to keep focused on for years to come so so there is technology out there that could modify this, um, the, the odor and the, the gas going into the community. That, is, there, is there technology out there that we are not using yet and that we could use? So at, at this point, you know, we're, we're not um, discarding anything. We're, we're not saying we're not willing to do anything and we're not willing to look at something. Um, we're right now working to implement um, some carbon scrubber units at some of our interceptor sites. Um, so those are going out there um, right now. Those are our, um, uh, I forget the, the trade name of them, but essentially it's a, it's a, a box um, that will connect to some of the interceptors and do passive 
um, car carbon scrubbing with those. And so we're, we're gonna have uh, the ability to monitor those. We're gonna monitor the performance of them, pilot them and see if they if that technology works for us. Um, we're also, we've got the, the Sewer X program, the Smart Sewers program. We've talked about that several times at the City Commission. Um, that's something the City Commission has supported uh, through the capital program. And that's where we've got out in the system um, flow monitors and sensors of, of all of our interceptors. We're modeling that. Um, we also have hydrogen sulfide sensors out in the sewer system as well. And so we're attempting to learn relationships between if we see an increase of, of say hydrogen sulfide in a sewer, we're trying to make some connections and understand what's happening with um, flow for that. So, and we're already seeing some flow responses or flow interactions with some of our interceptors uh, that we'd like to respond to and perhaps manage a little bit better. Um, today, city crews went out to investigate and they'll be cleaning tomorrow a section of siphon where there's three 16 inch barrels, two of which were, were plugged and they're gonna be responding and cleaning that. That's in response to the Sewer X program where they're able to monitor things in real time and see how the sewer system's operating. So we're, gonna, we're continuing this work. Um, one of the projects that um, you know, we, we have you know, essentially um, divested ourselves from was the proposed biofilter. Uh, that's something that we are continued to look at into the future. Um, they're just, uh, the characteristics of uh, the discharge to us had changed over time. Uh, the project also was, uh, you know, approximately three times over budget. We didn't have the resources to complete it. So we're moving forward with the, the pipeline reroute. That pipeline reroute will have appurtenances kind of built into it that into the future, if we decide that a biofilter is warranted, uh, will be, that, will, that project, that pipe project, we'll be able to support a future connection to a, to a biofilter if needed. So, uh, you know, we're gonna continue to work on a, a lot of fronts. Um, certainly we have that goal of, of reducing background hydrogen sulfide um, concentrations in the neighborhood. That's something we measure, can hold us accountable for it, and we're gonna continue to work towards those goals. Thank you. Commissioner Prado. Hey, Director Baker. Um, question for you. So in terms of what's slated for capital improvement upgrades, we're looking at $111.1 million. And, you know, you look at the numbers of staff members, we're increasing, it's like five for the whole city of Kalamazoo. Um, you know, and from uh, 2022 to 2023, the vast majority of those are not in public services. <clears throat> I mean, uh, I'm just asking this question because I know most of this work will be contracted out through bidding process to other people who do this work. But you know, do you feel like we are, you know, able to safely do all this work and have the capacity to get it done next year? I know it's a heavy lift, and uh, you know, it's it's on the, the tail of of previous record-setting capital improvement years. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on on that. Um, yeah, so certainly, that's a great question in terms of our you know capacity. Uh, of the workforce and of staff to continue to deliver on not only the capital program, but um, you know, overall regulations, level of service requirements, both in, in water and wastewater um, have been profoundly changed over the last few years. Um, so that, that is something that we take serious. We, we, have, we have and are studying that. Um, you know, one of the, the requirements of the ACO with Eagle uh, was that we had to look at and perform uh, capacity managerial and, and financial capacity analysis. And really what that does is it looks at our staffing as well as a number of financial factors. So that's something that, you know, we continue to talk with our rate consultants to see, you know, 
where, where staffing levels are at and you know are they adequate to continue to meet the needs so um, the, the overall budget presentation did not have you know additional position requests within the utilities uh, but that is something that we are going to be taking to our rate consultants and understanding what our capacity is in 2023 and then in, and beyond um, one of the, the larger uh, expenditures proposed in 2023 is 11 million dollars for the tertiary process upgrade and that's on the heels of I think it was like 8.6 8. Uh, million dollar investment in that as well um, could you just remind everybody again why we're continuing to, to put dollars towards that work it's certainly so the tertiary project is a project that's already awarded it's already construction it's underway if you come out to the treatment plant you'll see that that big crane that's you know well over 120 feet tall that's doing this work at, right now today constructing that new tertiary process uh, tertiary is one it's it's our third of our kind of big uh, piece projects in, in terms of treatment plant so when waste comes in the treatment plant we've got a number of process, unit processes that it goes through. That tertiary process is a very important process. It's a key process. It uh, helps us meet our permit requirements before we discharge the Kalamazoo River. Our existing process um, is experiencing, you know, both age and uh, life cycle fatigue. You know, as well as, um, you know, it's kind of. Um, you know, utilize its useful life. It's over 40 years old and it's in time for kind of a new process. So uh, that's that's the work you see going on there. Um, you know, we're gonna be looking at final clarifiers um, starting next year. We've got kind of a year off as we finish tertiary and then that tertiary project is scheduled to go online in July and August of 2023. Okay, cool. Um, the other thing is we, we've seen a number of expenditures, but also they're for, uh, forecasted and there's one that's there. I think it's a uh, four point uh, $95 million for Ransom Street um, and uh, listed as the Ransom Street Interceptor upgrade. Can you just remind the public again, why are we investing so much money on, you know, items listed as Ransom Street? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, that's a great point. So Ransom is one of our projects that we would categorize as a uh, multidisciplinary project. So meaning that it's got kind of three funding sources. There's the big underground work that uh, really is kind of being led by wastewater with the big, it's gonna be a 42 inch diameter sewer. You know, so if that was sitting next to me, I mean, that's like this big, right? It's, you know, really big. That's a big pipe. That's one of our major interceptors. Um, so that that's a lot of work and involved with that is water. The water department is also gonna be consolidating mains on that street and putting a new transmission main. And then at the surface, um, our streets, you know, uh, group is partnering with NACD. And as we complete this project, it's gonna be kind of built and cross-section under the vision and desires of NACD to support, you know, kind of their vision in, in future work in that area. So, you know, this is a great example of kind of using the asset management plan approach in that um, the departments or funding sources, if you will, are communicating within each other to say, we've got to put this big interceptor, you know, down the street, what else can we do? Does, you know, water, do you need a new water main? And then as we're done, as we put that everything back together, what does the neighborhood want to see here? What is the future vision for this area, for this corridor? And that's where um, the Northside Cultural Business District and NACD comes in. So if you look, uh, there should be a project line item for ransom in streets. There's a, a line item in water and there's a line item in wastewater. So those are all kind of the individual funding sources that are going to go to fund that one big project. And, and that is going to be, that's a big project. Um, the hole that we've got to dig to get down to that um, interceptor and lay that pipe some 15 foot deep is gonna be is, you know, probably the size of the entire roadway. Wow. 
<clears throat> yeah, just, you know, it's when you look at the amount we're spending on like Southwest Nidge or White's Road or whatever, you see ransom and it just, it, it seems like a large amount. So I thought it'd be helpful mm -hmm. to, to bring that up for the public so they understand why. The other one that just kind of stuck out here, I saw 1.75 million for Millwood water main lining. Can you talk a little bit about that at all? Yeah, so that, this is a really unique opportunity. Uh, you know, we're glad we've got an opportunity to talk about that. One of the things I'll just say is that, you know, $60 million in, in water, and uh, we spent a lot of time at the Utility Policy Committee talking about capital. We still don't have the opportunity to go line by line by line and talk through every single project. So we kind of look for commissioners to, you know, bring out what they want to talk about, and then we'll engage in, in, and talk about those projects. So um, that water main lining project is going to be, uh, the first large project scale implementation for us to actually um, utilize kind of a trenches technology to uh, really kind of replaces the water main through uh, interior lining. So we wanted to uh, try it out in Millwood. Uh, we've had areas that had um, significant main break and you know had some uh, you know pipe fatigue and things like that, but the pipes were strong enough to support an interior lining. Uh, so that's going to be something new for us. And then I think the good news is that if that is successful, um, you know, and sometimes we can't measure success within the project year, we've got to try it out for a few years. And we may not know that for a few years to come. But if that is successful, that could mean that we could achieve, you know, future water main replacement, so to speak, uh, using some tr trenchless technology. And we're able to then, ideally, if this works out in the future, to, to do do more of these. Now, one thing I will tell you, there's some limitations on where we can apply this technology. Um, you know, there's a, an ideal distance between service locations. Millwood's kind of spaced out, uh, ideally for that. There's not a lot of additional connections. Millwood's kind of laid out just a pretty simple grid. We've got simple, just residential connections to it. Um, this technology may not be applicable downtown and it most certainly isn't applicable where we need to upsize main so a lot of our projects that we've been replacing water main in we've had kind of antiquated system of like four inch six inch and ten inch main where we needed 12 to convey water um, and then we needed to consolidate all those pipes in the street so we went forward with like a 16 inch main so some of the projects that we're doing are consolidation projects and um, increasing size but some of them are just straight replacements where this project really was an ideal location to try that technology. And if it um, is proven useful, it'll be something in our toolbox for future areas as well. In terms of neighborhoods that you know uh, conducted outreach in terms of like water coloration and or those issues, uh, do you foresee this having any impact on those issues? Yes, that's a great point. So it, it may help. You know, there there is some. Um, interior rusting of, of the water mains that, that happens in certain areas, um, some areas more so than other. Uh, there's several sources of you know, rust inputs, if you will. A lot of those are at the stations themselves that come from the stations or the wells or groundwater source. So um, stations that don't have iron treatment, which is all but two of them right now. Uh, majority of stations do not have full-scale iron treatment or iron removal. So that's something that comes from the wells themselves. But there is also, um, you know, kind of that um, uh, tuberculation that occurs inside that pipe wall. And so this will stop and prevent future tuberculation, which could be part of that. So it's not going to fix it all the way, but it may limit one of the contributing sources. Thanks. Thank you, Director Baker. Thank you, Commissioner Pradle. Other questions for the city team in this area at this time?
All right, thank you. On to youth development. <clears throat> Good evening, everyone. Um, <clears throat> the first goal area I'm gonna speak on is youth development tonight. And just to highlight um, something that we all know about that took place this past year was the allocations for youth programming. Um, we actually have a meeting to go over the final report um, this coming Wednesday. So we'll have some report outs and some data from that. But um, just um, what I mentioned previously in uh, one of the last meetings <clears throat> was the uh, summer programming <clears throat> that KidNet uh, administered was able to reach 3,390 youth over this past summer. So that was quite a, <clears throat> quite a good program um, and showed some very promising results. Um, <clears throat> our Super Rec program next year will continue um, with the five, five, five sites that we've utilized uh, since the program inception after 2016. Uh, those will be Lacrone um, Park and Douglas Community Association, uh, Rockwell Park, New Village, Southside Park, and the Oakwood neighborhood. Um, that's a free program that's offered to the youth uh, that might not take advantage of our summer campsites due to financial reasons or transportation issues. Um, over the past year, all sites were uh, fully, fully, um, they had full participation um, each week, and that equated to reaching over 300 unique youth um, throughout the entire summer from the Super Rec program. Uh, all Things Possible will again uh, be taking place, um, and a couple of the new uh, options that we're gonna have this year is um, there's actually gonna be a new entrepreneurship curriculum and partnership that's being developed right now, as well as uh, a continued partnership with Third 90, um, which we had in the previous uh, few years. Um, we're actually renewing that, and that provides a hands-on uh, biology experience with college professors for all the participants in the All Things Possible program. Um, and they had quite a few um, trips that they took this past year, which were very well received by the participants. Um, they made a trip to the KBCC Center for New Media. Uh, they had a, we had a partnership with Kalamazoo Makers that provided hands-on trades experience with laser engraving and woodworking. And then there was also a partnership with Charles Rivers Labs um, for career exploration for the participants. Uh, our Youth Action Council um, is fully um, staffed with members. Uh, there's 12 current members on the council, uh, ranging in age from 13 to 18. Uh, they're actually getting ready to host their first event on February 24th at Mayor's Riverfront Park. It's gonna be a karaoke and game night for youth from grades six through 12. And um, <clears throat> a few of the things they're actually looking forward to for this coming year in 23 is they're going to implement some teen youth workshops as well as some community service projects. And the Youth Action Council actually um, helped our department quite a bit in staffing for uh, some of our special events that we had throughout the year. Um, they did a great job helping out um, manning some booths and also um, our parks and recreation tent. So we were very fortunate to have them participate in that. And then like uh, Chief Boyson mentioned, the PAL program, we all know the success that the current programs um, that we offered through PAL have, have had. Um, some of the new programs, there's, they're not all listed on the slide. However, I do have some highlights. Um, in beginning in the new year, we're actually gonna offer an introduction to T-Ball um, 
in partnership with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, there'll also be a boxing conditioning program uh, in partnership with Maple Street School. And then this summer, uh, we just learned of these two programs um, and were kind of awarded or made aware of the partnership. Um, we're gonna be hosting a Major League Baseball youth, or excuse me, junior home run derby along with the Kalamazoo Growlers at Mayor's Riverfront. And then we were uh, awarded an NFL flag football seven on seven program um, that we will be having. Uh, there'll also be a youth football combine um, that we'll have in the summer leading into rocket football. <clears throat> and then in the fall of 23, we plan on um, operating a volleyball program as well through PAL. Any questions on youth development right now before I go to next one? Um, pa Patrick, this is great, so great. Could you go over a little bit Who's eligible for all things possible? How many kids do you have in it? And, and what is the, the plan for that program? What does that program yeah, do? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, the program normally uh, runs in different sessions. Normally during the school year, uh, spring and fall, um, we have between 20 and 40 teens per session. And it's dependent on the space that we hold the program at. Um, like in the summertime, we have uh, the programs hosted at uh, Western Michigan, and depending on their space available or any construction that they have, we kind of have to move things around as far as classroom and you know um, program times. Uh, in the summer, we see anywhere between 40 and 80 participants. The program um, is mainly focused on middle school um, youth that are actually transitioning into high school. Um, <clears throat> so that's basically. Um, how it's operated, um, it's, you know, basically anyone in the, in the city, any youth in the city are able to actually apply for that program. It's been um, run quite a few years. I think, I believe we started it in 2017 or 2018. Um, and then part of that program that we also incorporate is <clears throat> if they go through the program, they're able to actually work on having their driver's education paid for by the city as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions? <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so I had a couple questions. Um, most of these activities are <coughs> run when? In the summer and in the spring? Um, it varies, yeah. Super Rec is a summer program uh, that runs alongside of our summer camps that we have at Mayor's, YDC. Um, it's a free option at all those sites. Back when that program started in 2016, we kind of ran it as a pilot program at La Crone mm -hmm. <clears throat> and saw such a, a, a big turnout and a need for that that we tried to expand those to different quadrants of the city to try and be able to reach kids that might not have the ability to be transported to a, another site. Um, so that runs during the summer. All Things Possible is, uh, I believe, fall and spring, and then there's a summer component to it as well. <clears throat> so I'm hoping um, as we get into the cooler months and we can look at activities <clears throat> that could possibly, mm -hmm. um, that we can possibly incorporate within the, um, the winter months also. Yes. Um, I see that we've got, you know, we've got a couple new ones coming on there. Uh, Major League Home Run Derby, NFL football. Yep flag football, the t-ball, and the boxing program, and then now we're hearing about volleyball. Um, so, you know, I would charge you to 
possibly reach out to WMU and see what we can do about ice skating. I mean, that could be something that's different um, mm -hmm. for other individuals. I'm just going to throw in some winter, uh, winter programs out there yeah. for you. Um, I will say that, you know, with what you guys have going on, I think the correlation between KDPS and Parks and Recs is really working with our youth, and I like that, and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, just again, something else that also, again, within the winter months, you know, yeah. kids are home all day, um, so maybe you can look at, into that a little bit and see if we can get a program uh, going on for that. Um, and especially with, you know, Western Michigan University now going to be creating their own neighborhood plan. This is another way for them to also be inclusive and it feel is. included within <laughs> the city. Yep. So. Um, one thing I will add, I didn't add some of these programs in here just because we have so many that, that we offer. Um, in the wintertime, we do have our Swim for Success program that we run at K College. Um, so that operates uh, throughout the wintertime. Um, we also just completed our middle school bowling league that we have. Uh, and then our archery league uh, will also start up after the holidays. Uh, so I hear that a lot of these things are, you know, especially on February 28th, we've got what's going to be happening at the Mayor's Riverfront. Um, what kind, what kind of upgrades do you see right now that the Mayor's Riverfront Park could use um, that would probably benefit uh, individuals? Um, Right now, based on the size of Mayor's Riverfront, obviously it's a challenge with our summer camps. Um, we have, Mayor's Riverfront is one of the largest summer camps that we have, uh, hosting 40 kids throughout the summertime. Um, so there's that challenge. The Youth Advisory Council has been able to actually utilize mayors to host their meetings and then this was kind of an event that they had been planning for a little while as far as um, a kickoff event to see how well it's received um so that's a that's a good question i would i would pose to our our entire department to kind of bring suggestions there's there's a lot of different things that could change but it's been functional for what we have right now Okay, um, and you know, a lot of the places, a lot of the organizations that use the Mayor's Riverfront Park um, that aren't run by you, do they, are they charged a fee? Like say if an outside, um, say a school wanted to come in and use that, are they charged a fee for using that facility? For utilizing the, either the sports, the football field, soccer field, they are, or if um, we do kind of in partnership with the Growlers, depending on the seasons. Um, there have been some high school baseball teams that have utilized the, the baseball field as well. But yeah, there are fees to, to rent the fields based on the, the sport or the occasion. Um, Do you think that if there were upgrades <clears throat> made to that, that there would be more organizations that might want to reach out to use this, this field more? I do believe that, yeah. Um, as everyone knows, it's a pretty large monetary commitment to do that. Um, we have looked into that. Um, we, we have a good operation right now as far as the, the field, um, SRC field and the turf. Uh, however, it could be, you know, increased if that was to advance or become a, a, a turf field uh, as far as rentals and, and utilization. Thank you. Yep. Commissioner Juarez. 
um, for the for the Rocket Football League. Mm -hmm. Now, was that established as a league of its own, and teams were created, or was that like trying to uh, like combine other leagues that were in the city already? Yep. Kind of doing their own thing and kind of collectively, like, can you explain it, what happened with that? Absolutely. Good question. Uh, it was the latter. So it was kind of a, a combination of some of the existing Rocket football teams um, that weren't essentially playing under the same kind of umbrella. Um, they were a little bit separated. So what we did was um, brought all of those into one Kalamazoo league. Um, there were existing teams. And we we kept that format through this year. Um, we plan on making some ch some changes to next year. I don't really 100% know exactly what those are going to be yet, but it'll all be a, a signified Kalamazoo League uh, again. And there was some some special event um, scheduling conflicts that we had initially when the season started. So some of the Actual football games had to move to you know up John Park and Spring Valley, but leading into next year, all the games will be played at Mayor's Riverfront. Um, all of the kids will have uh, equipment. Uh, we were actually able to secure both um, football helmets and shoulder pads from the money that was allocated this past summer. Um, we'll have those in the springtime for all of the children. So all the youth that will be playing will have you know brand new equipment that's meets specific safety standards and we'll keep on top of that as far as refurbishment and everything as well. Yeah, I had a lot of parents just <clears throat> contacting me about being able to play their games and um, what I've seen over my time with coaching Rocket Football for United, which is Kalamazoo Christian, mm -hmm. um, that the league they play in, most of the public schools have their own league or their own team yep. and the public schools host them as home fields right mm -hmm. and so i think it would be really important kind of to involve kps in that conversation absolutely um because we have multiple football fields that are underutilized yep. throughout the summer yep. and into you know the rocket football season yeah um and i know scheduling stuff has to work out uh, but i mean we got we got plenty of space yep. When it comes to being able to play um, and we even have opportunities to play on k colleges field and western michigan's field or western the broncos and and it just to see that um and they're more than willing mm -hmm. you know and so um i'm really excited about that because football is just a passion yeah. right um lions you know we beat the viking just this sunday so <laughs> um me and chief boyce and i'm actually going to be planning to try to go to the next Bears game. So if you guys want to get in on that, you guys let us know. Um, but, and, you know, Michigan, you know, the Wolverines, I made a bet with, uh, what's your name again? <laughs> Jim Risman. Do you guys know Jim Risman went to Ohio State? And we beat the, we beat the mess out of them. We beat the, no, come on. So we have, we have a bet. You'll see next public meeting. We're gonna, he's going to be wearing some Michigan gear. <laughs> He's gonna be sick. It's gonna be a, a bright maze <laughs> shirt. So, anyways, yeah. rocket football is one of those things that I had an opportunity to just see how kids can grow from that. How much it encourages them to just, you know, I wish Kalamazoo was a like a, a football city. You see that in Texas and in other places, man. And there's so much talent in yeah. this city. 
that's so underutilized and so so much potential that's wasted. Um, you know, and I just and it breaks my heart because we can have individuals who are youth in this city who could be going to the league, right? And it's no doubt in my mind, I've seen kids just waste their talent. And so more opportunities, yeah. we need that. So absolutely, thank you for the, Thanks for, for that. that I'm sure. Thank you, Commissioner Juarez. Commissioner Poehler. Um, good evening. Uh, so for the Rocket football, kind of off that conversation as well, I know one of the things that we heard mentioned before was that um, there were gonna be less expenses this year just because of the uh, equipment that can mm -hmm. be used, reused and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. that's that's a positive thing. Yep. So it's not necessarily like we're investing significantly less. It's just that we had to, a lot of upfront costs that Correct. now we can write out <laughs> with a little bit. Correct. Yep. Um, I was just gonna mention, this may be a little bit more of a comment, but the entrepreneurship uh, curriculum. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we are already connecting with the Hayworth College of Business at Western, but I know um, they have a, a really strong leadership program there. And, yeah. and you know, they even have offices <laughs> downtown now. Um, and, uh, you know, I definitely think that'd be a great opportunity or the can-do Kalamazoo um, folks as well as, as that's getting up and running with their new facilities. But. Yeah, Chad, excuse me, our recreation manager actually was reached out to by two different organizations to try and plan this. So okay. he's in the works of trying to do that. Perfect. So thank you for mentioning um, that. And just want to applaud you also for recognizing, you know, the need for community service projects. I don't know if those of us that attended the NACD listening session earlier this year, whenever we did that, there, I remember there was a gentleman who spent a, a lot of time talking about community service projects and his experience seeing how much it transform parks and transform spaces yeah. because, you know, when youth put some time into it, they're going to protect that. They're not going to let somebody come by and Absolutely. just throw stuff and trash the space that they put some time and energy into. And so yeah. I think that's great. And that's definitely, you know, based on that service learning model, uh, that's pretty powerful as well. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if we're all going to be invited to karaoke night to be participating. Oh, so, sure. Oh, probably not. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And then uh, the last thing I was just going to mention, you know, I think it's great as well, seeing the amount of uh, resources we're trying to secure grants, uh, yeah. like the one in Emerald Park as well, and, you know, opportunities where we can maybe contribute a little bit, but seek other grant dollars to support that work. So that's, yep. that's great to see as well. It's actually leading into my next slide. So if there's no other questions there is, I'll be happy to answer. And inviting public places. That's right. <clears throat> um, so I just wanted to highlight some of the, the, uh, projects that we have kind of in our mix um, for 2023. Obviously, we talked about the farmer's market phase two. Um, that project, we have actually, like I said earlier, a million dollar grant already secured. And in the next two to three weeks, we should find out um, the status of between 500 and another million, that million dollars towards that project. So um, we are seeking more grant funding for that. So we'll hopefully find out from those next two grants in the next two or three weeks. Uh, the Emerald Park improvements, uh, we completed the uh, public input sessions along with uh, some help from the community planning director Mitchell staff. Um, we heard some great imp improvement suggestions. Uh, we're currently uh, in the, actually just applied, uh, I believe last week was the deadline for one of the SPARC grants uh, for that project. So we should hear by the end of January for that and then proceed with improvements um, pending the, the grant process sometime towards probably the mid to end of 2023, just based on the, uh, the programming at the park and the soccer leagues and whatnot. Uh, the Millen Park Playground is actually being completed uh, right now. They anticipate being done hopefully uh, the end of this week, if not leading into the beginning of next week, but it will definitely be done by year's end. And that 
that uh, brand new playground, which you see here in the slide, will be available to use in the spring for everyone. Uh, that turned out to be a great project, and we've received a lot of good feedback from the design, and we're looking forward to actually having that open for the public to use. Um, along with the playground, uh, next year, uh, kind of in collaboration with, like Director Mitchell said earlier, and the community planning staff, uh, Deputy Director Anderson and Jay Slaby, the neighborhood activator, activator uh, will be working on Millen Park planning uh, as a whole for park improvements on 2024. So that process will begin in 2023, kind of how we always do with our parks, uh, with community input sessions, kind of uh, hearing the community's input on what they'd like to see as far as updates or new designs to Millen Park. Um, that will also happen for Verberg Park improvements. Um, Verberg Park, we actually had some community input sessions back in 2017 that we did over the summer planning to uh, do park improvements in 2018, but the EPA work, EPA work um, obviously on the river kind of shut that down for a while. Um, with that anticipated to be done and the park reopened back up to the public in May, what we'll do is we'll actually start planning uh, the per park improvements again, getting some more community feedback on what people would like to see with potential for some improvements in 2023 or possibly most of the work done in 2024. So we'll obviously uh, work in collaboration with uh, community planning on that. Um, next year, we'll begin our next uh, process for our five-year master plan. This was kind of a, an off year where it's time for ours, but it's not quite time for Imagine Kalamazoo 2035. Uh, we tried to see if we could actually delay it. Um, the Department of Natural Resources hasn't, hadn't had that happen before, and they suggested that we, we could do it, but we would not be eligible for any grant funding until the new one was adopted. Um, so we elected to keep on track and, and work on that next year. Um, that'll be a big process that will actually uh, utilize the expertise of uh, community planning, um, community input sessions, kind of dictating um, from the community what we need to work on in the next five years as far as our park and, Parks and Rec master plan. Um, so what we'll kind of do with that is it'll be a lead-in to Imagine Kalamazoo 2035. So some of the input that we use for that will actually transition into the city's plan, but then we'll also be able to take what we get from Imagine Kalamazoo 2035 and kind of incorporate that towards the back end of the plan as well. Um, and then last to highlight is Arcadia Creek Festival Place and the special events. Obviously, um, we have taken over um, utilizing Arcadia Creek uh, from a park standpoint. So uh, in 2023, they'll actually be landscaping designated from our department uh, to be utilized there. Uh, it'll be on the mowing contract that we have for our parks and green spaces. And then we've taken in uh, the special event process citywide through our department. So it's kind of a, a seamless transition um, for that process. Um, so hopefully we'll have a good season at our Creek Creek Festival place next year as well. Any questions? Thank you so much. Any last questions for our Parks and Record Director here? Vice Mayor Cooney. Um, the farmer's market thing, you yep. says phase two. Yep. You have, you say you have a million dollar grant. Yes. And you're expecting- There's a million dollars already committed for that phase of the project. And then we have between 500,000 and another million that we'll find out about probably in the next three weeks. And then what's the total cost that you need to finish that project? I don't have the exact figure yet. 
um, the consultant that's doing the cost estimates I actually spoke to today and they were waiting on one number to come in. Um, hopefully I'll have that and I can include that in a Friday email, okay. but I'll have it sometime this week okay. regardless. So I don't know the exact number okay. um, right yet. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Juarez. Um, yes, the Emerald Park, that's the park that's over there by um, behind Consumers Energy? Correct. Okay, so <laughs> like really tucked away behind Consumer Energy, it's in that community. Um, there's a huge like strip of that park that's just green grass and then the portion of the park where it's very like in, I'm interested in is like because the Hispanic population uses that portion of the park for soccer on Sundays and Adrian um, from the um, mm -hmm. Hispanic American Council uh, puts on these events there and they're so beautiful but the park itself needs a lot of upgrades right and so what are some of the upgrades that you guys are planning to kind of like parking and like what's yeah so there'll be a uh, parking aspect to it i don't want to go into it too much in detail because a lot of it is dependent on the spark grant and if we get that awarded but let's say that we do um, there'll be a parking aspect uh, to the park improvements for the soccer league as well as you know the park goers um, there'll be improvements to the fields um, there's money allocated for that uh, as far as kind of regrading reseeding uh, there'll be permanent soccer goals um, there there'll be a net not on the I-94 side because of the new walls that are actually going up, but there'll be a net uh, to try and stop the balls from going over the fence towards the businesses. Um, improvements to the walking path are one of the things that both the community members and kind of the soccer leagues uh, wanted, and then uh, a restroom building as well. Great idea. Yeah. Commissioner Decker. Uh, kind of Speaking of what Commissioner Juarez said, so you applied for the Spark Grant. How much did you apply for? Uh, I believe it was 815000 And 815000 would take care of all of the updates? Yes. That you would need for this particular area? Correct. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Juarez. How about lighting? So <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, it was talked about. The reason that we didn't pursue lighting is because the soccer league said they didn't really need that as a factor to continue the programs. Um, and it's kind of a hard issue along with the neighborhood being so close. There is opportunity to do that now with the way LEDs can focus their beams, but we didn't really pursue that because the, the soccer league didn't really make that kind of a, a need in their, their list. But we did talk about that. Other questions for the director? Hello. Um, so the farmer's market phase two, you said you already had a million committed. Who, mm -hmm. if you can tell us, is that coming from? Who or where or what organization? Uh, that was a grant that was received, I believe, right when the project started from Irving S. Gilmore. I ask because is that, are you taking that those funds into account with what you're asking for or what they're requesting within the budget? Yes. So it would be what you're requesting for in the budget plus this one in the 1.5? Yes, okay. depending on the, the grants that we have kind of in limbo Coming right in. now. And the, the estimated cost of the project, which we don't have currently. We have one, but it was actually from about a year and a half ago. And obviously with costs increasing, we're not, we're supposed to receive that this week. 
so <clears throat> if we again well you guys are going to have that final cost in about two or three weeks and then uh, the commission would know that because I see we have our you know mm -hmm. to look at the proposed budget in January and then vote on it and, and on the 17th um, <clears throat> excuse me Manager Ritzman. Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about timing. I think, you know, looking at the budget that's been prepared and the ARPA dollars that are being recommended, I know there are some things around what we just talked about with the farmer's market uh, information still needed. I just want to remind or suggest that, you know, we can, when we get to the ARPA, discussion and in, in the dollars that are being recommended, we can take those recommendations and focus on 2023 and approval. And if <coughs> things, you know, change or want to be changed, we can always come back like we did this past year with a, a mid-year uh, adjustment to that. So. I just don't want the sense that you're kind of being hurried in this discussion, especially with some information that we're yet waiting for. So just keep that in mind too, that if there are some ideas you have that you want to have time to really process with each other, uh, we can make an opportunity for that discussion even after the budget's adopted. Thank you, Manchester. Any other questions for Director Wallace here? Mercuni. Could you could you repeat for me sure. what your vision is that that would happen at that at that market development? Yeah, absolutely. So the concept behind the design of the building was to not only be utilized during market events, but to be a space that the community could utilize as far as hosting an event or a neighborhood gathering but then also one of the main concepts behind that building would be the new youth development center home. Um, the existing youth development center, obviously that, you know, is, you know, at the end of its life, um, it's a very old building. Um, and the concept behind the design of this building was to take over not only the youth development center from an after school perspective, but also during uh, the summertime as one of our summer campsites. And just to follow up on the last time that we spoke about this, and it was mentioned about getting into KPS as far as the after-school programs, um, we have attempted to do that in the past, and I don't want to say there's there was issues, but we weren't actually able to um, move forward as far as and getting into the buildings to run our after-school programs. It could be a number of factors why I don't know specifically, but that was never kind of moved forward as far as us offering any after-school programs in the schools. So that's why one of the main components of our programs is the Youth Development Center, which would be the Farmer's Market Building. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Strength through diversity. Yeah, thank you. I would like to introduce our DEI director. Ms. Tanya Hewitt-Smith, and she's gonna talk with you about our strength to diversity goal. And um, your first time in front of the commission, and 
we love that you're here and look forward to what you have to, to say. Okay, thank Thanks, you. Tanya. First, I would like to acknowledge, thank you, Patrick, for the click of moving the screen, because I'm like Antonio, my eyes are not what they used to be. <laughs> so I think I hope I can see the error on that remote. Oh. All right, um, I would like to also, Chief Boyson stated long-term solution for an ongoing problem. Um, and that is also something that we need to address within the strength of diversity, and I will be, can you hear me? Talk more to my, okay. <laughs> um, I will touch base on strength through diversity tonight. Um, increasing professional development opportunities and education tools to promote DEI initiatives. Um, we have started that thus far is um, picking up from where my predecessors left off along with also implementing monthly publications um, for education and awareness in regards to DEI. We have also, um, we are working to build and create a work environment that will welcome a sense of belonging. Um, to reflect on the comment Commissioner Warren stated, I did do I, not a football statement, but I'm going to give you a basketball statement. I considered it a full court blitz when I first got into the role. Um, I did one-on-ones with the commissioners, directors, deputy, um, senior leadership, and I did hear everything that someone, everyone has said. Um, I do have lots of notes that I took. And, but one thing that I did get for out of everyone, transparency, um, results, um, the assessment, and ending with now what? What I will like to say that I hope with everyone that I spoke with, everyone did reflect the fact that they want to be allies and champions for that department. So I will be relying heavily on you all as far as like getting the support, especially the departments is as to pushing their employees and themselves, because I feel as leaders, we have to reflect what we want. Um, so I'm looking for us all to model that behavior. Along with increasing training participation to 25% for overall staff. In doing so, um, we, have our, we are currently in the final stages of making um, arrangements to the first quarter of the year with the LGBTQ plus community along with the disability network, um, which would be diversity through disability that we'll be also implementing as well as working with the Michigan Department of Council to build a cabinet discussion for leadership of how to lead in diversity. Along with the 25% overall that I'm looking to increase, I do not only want to just provide trainings, I want the majority of us and our staff to have certifications to back that up, um, to show that we can put in the work. Collaborating with staff to improve talent acquisition and, um, and retainment. I'm sorry, I did myself an injustice in trying to save paper. So <laughs> the print is a little small. <laughs> uh, collaborate with staff to improve talent acquisition and retainment. Currently, I am working with, I am doing one-on-one -on -one meetings with HR. Um, we have started, we have started ASAP. I'm sorry, as soon as, as, soon as I got into the role in September. Um, we have added diversity questions to our interview questions for our staff, for our, for our departments when they conduct interviews. Um, we are working on policies and procedures to change and increase, increase what we're trying to show and reflect for our DEI initiative. And another one also here. 
Well, I will come back to that. Um, we, as you know, you guys, prior to me getting in this role, we implemented the More Courage College program, which is diversity without divide, which is, has a high emphasis on communication, unifying and bringing the human element to our organization. That date has already been set. You will receive publication um, immediately after the new year, um, but you can mark it in your calendars now. It will be a four-week college um, between February 15th and March 8th. My assistant, which is um, our DEI coordinator, Law Talangi, has met with, last week she met with, uh, sent out an invitation and met with the directors and their deputies as far as input, championship, buying in. Um, we are going to have a follow-up meeting this week to grab those that we did not have that conversation with because we are setting up, we are pushing to where we're going to provide for them a number of slots for their department. Um, run a raffle, and if, once they pre present us the names, we will let them know, because we have a limited number of slots, but we are going to inform them of what's available for the departments at that time. And basically, that's what I have thus far. I'm sure you have questions. Questions? Commissioner Hess? Director Hewitt-Smith, thank you for being here, and welcome. Thank you. Um, so. When we were speaking, we talked about your initiatives through your office and HR being for city employees. However, the work that we're doing here includes all city. Mm -hmm. So this is a heavy lift. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, you can count on us to step up when we need to to do this for our community. Mm -hmm. This is. This is probably a number one priority for most of us. And so we appreciate you saying yes to the DEI director and for being here for us and with us. So um, whatever you need, Thank let you. us know. Thanks, Commissioner House. Commissioner Pradel. I was just gonna <clears throat> share a note. Last Friday, I was uh, I, I, once a month. I do this little lunch thing with a bunch of other executive directors to get together and just share ideas and whatnot. And um, one of the executive directors I was sitting across from said that um, she she and her team had done a number of uh, I think the two and a half day race trainings, and she was actually part of the current one that was I think ending on Friday or something. And she said it, she thought her team was surprised because it was the first time in a while that she'd attended one of those two and a half day trainings where a senior member of city staff wasn't a part of it. Yeah. And so um, I was pleased to hear that she had been seeing city staff being a part of it. Um, you know, I hope we keep our foot on the gas and continue to you know, represent and be there um, and, and being a part of that gro growth opportunities. So right. I just wanted to share that with you, that there was that observation from somebody outside in the community that they had been seeing people from the city of Kalamazoo and, and that was just kind of notable in her mm -hmm. head. So um, I, was, I was pleased to hear that. Um, in terms of uh, just overall professional development, I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts in terms of you know, budget-wise, do you have a sense about how, you know, whether that's going to be adequate enough to do that work in the coming year to make that possible, um, to provide the professional development people want to partake in or the people who still have yet to be a part of it, if there will be enough there to do that? To be honest with you, Commissioner Prado, I do not want to assume to tell you yes or no. Sure, uh, sure. Right now we are, we are digging really, we have dug really deep on um, what is needed, what's going to be appealing to our staff and along to the community. Yeah. I do know that um, what I'm running into, what I have run into, 
you can reach out for resources that a lot of programs have been basically catered to the private sector. Um, on the Southwest Michigan side of Michigan, on Southwest Michigan side, we have a long way to go. So I've been working with the Southeast side of Michigan to get a lot of their resources and feedback on, like I said, I, I, it's not just a bright and shiny thing. It's what's, what is going to be impactful for our organization? What are people going to take away? Because when they take it out of, and to say what you said, Commissioner Hess, I am, as you stated, I did mention city of Kalamazoo, but I am, I have not thought about the community in which we serve. So my, the plan that I have for our organization, because if our employees can get something from it, they're taking it back home to the dinner table and sharing it. Other questions for the director? Thanks again, appreciate it okay, very much. You. Yes. All right, our next presenter is going to present on good governance, and this is our IT director, or CIO, uh, Tim Dubois. Tim? Yes. Uh, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. Uh, good governance <clears throat> tends to be focused on internal uh, operations and support and uh, enablement of all of the great projects that you've been hearing about. Uh, so our projects may not be as uh, exciting or attention-grabbing, uh, but nonetheless, they remain uh, vital and, and critically important for us to do the work that, that we do as a city. <clears throat> so the first uh, highlight is cybersecurity enhancements. Uh, cybersecurity being a, a top uh, news item uh, and probably forever will be. Uh, our enhancements uh, go on all different uh, areas of cybersecurity, so prevention, uh, detection, uh, mitigation or minimizing the impact uh, of an incident, uh, as well as recovery, uh, repair, uh, business continuity, uh, and then on to um, back to restoring back to our normal operations. <clears throat> I believe from a budget perspective, we have uh, items in every one of those areas. Uh, I won't get into details because we don't want the bad guys to know uh, where our weaknesses are, or we want to talk about them publicly anyway. Uh, along with that, and like I said, support of other uh, departments and their, their great initiatives, uh, we're looking to implement a data visualization tool. Uh, we have actually implemented this uh, right now. We're running through kind of the first initial use cases, uh, but we're going to work with each department uh, and, and look at their goals and metrics, and so they have a great visualization tool of how to do this and, and see where they are. Um, a nice little dashboard, if you will, uh, for them. Uh, to see where the data lies and uh, what what they're, the work they're doing and, and the impact that it makes. <clears throat> uh, and then uh, to continue to capitalize on our Digital City Award that, that we were recently awarded, uh, we're going to continue to, to modernize and, and uh, digitalize uh, city operations. Uh, so we're looking at uh, enterprise content management system. Again, the initial use case of that is, is ongoing right now. Uh, along with an e-signature system uh, with that, uh, and then other uh, process improvements and, and some other um, kind of kind of background stuff uh, to improve our operations and, and uh, improve the digital use of that. Uh, enhanced opportunities for employment, uh, support recognition. Uh, this goes to our, our overall uh, goal of retention and, and recruiting uh, and uh, celebrating our, our employees that we have 
uh, and making sure that, that they continue to want to work here and that this is a, a great place to work uh, and we can recruit uh, new employees as, as needed. <clears throat> so that's, uh, that's the highlights for the good governance group. Uh, any questions? Questions, team? Commissioner Decker. Hi. Um, so when you talk about enhanced opportunities for employee support and recognition, does that include professional development? It does. Uh, we're working on that with uh, human resources and to put out uh, training programs uh, throughout the city uh, for that, for development of, of our staff. Thank you. Other questions? Team? So uh, you alluded to this. Uh, so I, I'm not going to ask you for specifics, but you know, as on one hand you talk about more systems being digitalized, that also prevent, provides more opportunity for systems to be hacked, and uh, you know, the some vulnerabilities there as that occurs. And I know that oftentimes. Public institutions, governments have lagged behind even the private sector when it comes to uh, having the opportunity to robustly invest in those systems. And I don't think a week goes by that we don't hear about whether it's some public school system or a, a uh, partner city of ours somewhere around the country that hasn't had their systems hacked and, and ransomware attacks and that sort of thing. So. You know, not to talk about publicly about vulnerabilities, but I mean that is something I think is very concerning, top of mind for a lot of folks. How, how would you feel that are, are we investing in, in making sure uh, everyone who works for the city, because that's a lot of where those uh, access points can be, is individual uh, folks, uh, you know, clicking on phishing emails and that sort of thing. So if you want to talk about do you feel that we are in the direction we need to go in terms of protecting our systems here at the city? Uh, thank you for that question. That's a fantastic question. Uh, yeah, I feel we're, we're right in line. Uh, we ran a third-party assessment earlier this year, uh, and we scored very well on that compared to other, uh, the other average uh, industry, which in our average industry is the state, local, and tribal uh, territorial uh, governments. <clears throat> we scored very, very well uh, compared to that average. Uh, so I believe that we are on the right track. Some of the uh, enhancements that we're looking at for this year will, will uh, include that and expand that uh, onto our mobile devices and <clears throat> out to the mobile workforce, uh, as you mentioned. Thank you, appreciate it. Any other questions? All right, thank you very much, appreciate your work. Next, we're going to shift to the Foundation for Excellence, and we've got our new Executive Director of the Foundation for Excellence here, Steve Brown, and he's going to walk through some slides on the FFE and in the proposed budget for 2023. Steve? Thank you, City Manager Ritzmer. Good evening, Mayor Anderson, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. I'll be very brief. I realize that we're coming up on a hard stop at 8, and we still have some slides to go. So quick recap, uh, the Foundation for Excellence is here to help make it possible for all of us, all of you, to have the lives that 
you want for yourselves and your families in the city of Kalamazoo. We've been around since 2017, and you can see in that time we've invested $150 million in the well-being and growth uh, of the city of Kalamazoo. About 70 million of that has been for tax relief to all payers of tax in the city. About $50 million has been for aspirational projects, and about $20 million has been to stabilize the city's budget to make sure that our pro programs can continue to be delivered with excellence and grow each year. This slide shows briefly how the foundation works. Very, very simple concept. The citizens, residents of Kalamazoo, stakeholders who are engaged, create the plans that guide the city's work. All donations can be given simultaneously to the foundation's endowment. That endowment provides grants to the city that help fund the work from the Imagine Kalamazoo plans. So this graphic we include in the newsletter, which will be released uh, shortly in a few weeks here and sent to every occupied residence in the city. We have plenty of copies for you all to give out to anyone you'd like to. We try to give them out at every opportunity so that people can see the programs and projects that the FFE funds and what really sets Kalamazoo apart as an aspirational and growing community. So we've got two shots here from the newsletter that also make reference back to our online data. So when we do the work of the Foundation for Excellence, we like to be consistent and we like to just make sure that people have transparent resources available online. So you'll see here a map that summarizes some of the most major investments in neighborhoods. So you'll see not all neighborhoods are covered, uh, but the neighborhoods uh, in dark blue have received the most net investment, and that is net of both tax savings and aspirational investments from 2017 to 2022. So this map will be in the newsletter, which is being sent out in just a couple weeks. And this map mimics the online data dashboard that people can access through the city's website, through the foundation's website, on the city's website, uh, from any internet-capable device to click and interact with neighborhoods and see where the money's been invested. We'll be updating this with all of 2022's numbers over December so that it's up to date when we hit the new year. Also on our website and also in the newsletter is a 2017 to 2022 breakdown of investments by goal area. So you'll see that these are uh, Imagine Kalamazoo goals or aggregates of goals just to save time and space and attention here. Uh, so you can see the most significant investments have been in economic vitality, in our neighborhoods, uh, and in youth development. This is a list of the proposed 2023 activities of the city that would be funded by the Foundation for Excellence. I'm happy to answer any questions about this or that you have in general about FFE or programs at this time. Directors have, I think, for the most part, gone into detail about these, so I'll only touch on ones that you'd like to ask questions about. And this is my final slide, so I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Questions for Director Brown. All right, thank you very much, appreciate it. Thank you, and CFO Vicenzi is up next, thank you. All right, good evening. Um, I'm gonna be quick as well. I'm gonna kind of go over our ARPA plan again. You guys have seen this about two weeks ago. We discussed it a little bit last week and the directors tonight have touched on a majority, if not all, of this plan throughout their presentations. Um, so just kind of quickly getting us through here. Um, here we have about, you know, projected total of 1.25 million for economic development in the city in 2023. Um, mostly utilized in our business development fund programs. 
Moving on to housing, we've got a projected $4.3 million. Again, a majority of that going to our housing development fund um, of $3 million. And you guys heard a nice presentation about some of the work that's doing this year with the housing for all of the million dollars that just got approved last week. Um, we've got our infrastructure section. Um, Director Baker's talked a bit about this. We also talked about tonight with the tree planting, um, with the environmental responsibility and also with the um, street lighting at Fraternity Village and the stormwater um, utility um, work that we're doing as well. Um, safety, we heard quite a bit about that from Chief, um, Acting Chief Poison. Um, quite a few programs going on there. We're you know, bolstering um, with retention bonuses to make sure that we're maintaining our staffing levels, improving with the downtown substation, and also improving our buildings, um, our public safety buildings as we need to keep those in good shape. Here we have about $1.2 million for youth. Um, we discussed um, youth programming quite a bit tonight. We're working on the next phases of that. And then we're also working on the next phases of Police Athletic League, which was also covered earlier tonight as well. Um, revenue replacement, we've discussed this based on the federal formulas um, for revenue that was lost as a direct result of um, COVID, and that's going towards our streets funds. Again, lost funding due to reduction in gas usage, which reduces gas taxes, and lost in our parking fund, which with no one driving, no one coming to downtown, they lost a significant amount um, back in 2021, and that's what we're replacing here in 2023 based on that federal formula. Um, we have a bit for good governance, including, you know, community engagement, election equipment, and then the cost to administer and run all these programs and to do what the state needs to do to plan them out and then run them as well. And that's based off of the federal de minimis 10% of the total programs um, proposed. And we just smoothed that out over the next four years. And then finally, we have our multiple here where we talked about the uh, farmer's market multiple use building. Um, Director McVeary's working on final numbers for that, but a portion of that, you know, being requested to be funded by ARPA here, with other portions through bond funding and private donations. And in total, we're asking, we're, project, or we're proposing $13.2 million in ARPA funds. Um, and moving forward through 24 through 26, we'll have a remaining allocation of roughly 17 million. So I guess I'll open it up for questions. Questions? Vice Cooney. Um, could you, that 909,000 for the, each of the next three years for administration, is that mandatory? It is not mandatory. Um, it's what we're requesting is we're utilizing staff time to run these programs, to budget them, to oversee them, um, plan for them on the back end with purchasing, accounting, um, payroll, um, all those functions that kind of go into that as well. Okay, thank you. Other questions for CFO? Commissioner Decker. Hello, I'm kind of gonna kind of piggyback off what Commissioner uh, Cooney just said um, and what you just responded to as this is allocating staff time. Um, are these extra funds that they're gonna be paid in excess of what they're paid now? Or are these outside? entities coming in to do this or is it staff that's already here that works within the city 
It's the staff that's already here that works within the city. Um, these funds will feed into a general fund, which will allow us to um, continue to maintain staffing levels that we have to maintain these programs. Um, yes. So. Other questions at this time? Oh, yeah, Krishna Hoffman. Thank you. I do have a, a question in reference to the loss of revenue replacement for parking fund. Uh, I see that trending up for the next. Could you could you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Um, and so I guess, you know, kind of touching on that, that number may or will change as we perform that formula moving forward. Um, so the federal formula starts in 2019 as your base year and then produces or projects a 5.3% increase in revenue from 2019 to 2020 and then every year thereafter. So you start with, you know, your last year before COVID increasing by 5.3%. Um, and we're kind of looking at the parking system where it is, where it's been. Um, it's not, we don't anticipate it at the moment to maintain that 5.3%. Now, this money will go to continue operations and also help us implement a new parking plan that as that shows results, if we can improve the revenue, that revenue replacement number would come down then um, based on that formula because we would catch up to that revenue that we would expect or have expected to normally see within the parking system had COVID not happened. So that means, let me tell you what I'm hearing. So sure. if that number declines, then that means we have a little more cushion to do maybe something more aspirational with some of these funds if that number declines? Is that true? Yes, so if, as we implement a new parking plan, if we can raise revenues above that 5.3% um, targeted um, standard amount based on the federal government, then that number would decline. So that is the hope of what we would do, that then we could reallocate those to other uses. Okay, that's helpful. Other questions at this time? Thank you so much, Manager Smith. more next right. steps. just covering um, next steps um, January 3rd we will have our public hearing on the proposed budget that will be a time for us to you know have public comment and um, interaction on the budget on January 3rd and then after that we will have our proposed vote on January 17th thank you thank you very much so I just wanted to follow up on that a little bit just to remind anyone who's watching paying attention to this is that this is a multi-step process, this budget, and we have obviously walked through some highlights here this evening. We had a, some specific presentations earlier at a Committee of the Whole. We'll have our budget hearing as well. But one thing I really want to highlight for folks, and I, and I think it's a very, very useful, is our link to the proposed budget. So if you go online, uh, you don't have to be a tech wizard at all. You can click on this link and there is an amazing tool that's available there with all kinds of links that, that brings up things in pie charts and graphs, nice graphics, as well as if you'd like to get down with the weeds and look at the numbers department by department. So that is out there, that's available. You don't have to come down and get a hard copy here. Literally, it is a, a very nice tool that gives you a lot of access to that. So I appreciate the team for putting that together. I think that's very useful. So that, that link is available right at our 
city website for the center, and I encourage anyone that's interested to go and, and, and spend some time looking there. That will be, you have some time here. If you've got a day or two off over Christmas, you can spend uh, some time flipping through our budget book before the hearing comes up in January. I, I think that's, that's a great thing. One thing, just to give a heads up, something I'm uh, going to be asking about, and I know we've already had some conversation about it, but this is a big budget, a lot bigger budget than we've had before, and what's driving it? A lot of capital investment. And what drives capital investment? Borrowing money. So uh, we borrow money because we sell bonds, and uh, that means when you sell bonds, of course, you have to pay those back with interest, and there are caps, of course, and I just want all of us to be thinking about this, the amount of borrowing that is capped by statute relative to a value of our state equalized value, which includes several components to it, but there is a hard limitation number uh, in terms of how much borrowing is acceptable related to our, our derived SEV, I guess I'll call it that, which starts with our base SEV and adds some other components to it. So uh, in the gross uh, look at it, you, it would look that we might be getting close to that number, although about half of our borrowing is what's called exempt borrowing. So I'm just gonna to wanna to talk about that not this evening, but as we look forward, uh, a lot of the borrowing that we're talking about here when we're looking at our budget is obviously happening in our enterprise funds, our water and our wastewater. And you know, the great thing about that is that that means we're literally investing in ourselves. This is infrastructure we're working on that is gonna be there for decades to come. Really, really important work. And I guess just the last thing I wanna say about just our budget session tonight is that it's a big, big thing to get your head wrapped around, but in behind all these millions of dollars is a lot of work that the city team has done over the course of this last year, pulling this forward. Detailed, thoughtful work to create a budget that you know builds a great community for all of us and make sure that we have a good team members that are here, team members that we reward adequately, and team members that can execute on our dreams and plans that we talk about here. And sometimes I think back because we take so many things for granted. And uh, when we look around, it's an amazing, amazing multifaceted community that we live in here that there are so many plates that we have to keep spinning, whether it's stormwater, whether it's water, whether it's protecting ourselves from ransomware attacks, all of these things we have to do so that we have a community that functions for everybody. That's the idea. And I know we talk a bit also about, uh, you know, specifically, you know, what work we might be doing DEI side of things, but that work is also infused in everything that we do. And as we were discussing our budget for um, on the water side at the utility policy committee earlier, uh, actually last week, I noted that by the 
through 27, which I think we have it projected here, we are going to be spending $100 million on replacing lead pipes, uh, getting rid of lead. And I'm thinking we're hoping to be more or less done with it by the end of 27, maybe 28, correct me if I'm wrong, Baker. But that is equity work. That's $100 million worth the equity work and that we are committed to making sure that just because you happen to live in an older part of town where there might be lead service lines, you are not going to, to suffer a less healthy water because of that. Those are things that we are making sure are getting done. And that's a huge, huge investment in that work at $100 million. So I, I'm very appreciative of that. And uh, I know you want to wrap this up section here, but looking forward to the hearing and further work here. Manager Ritzman. Yeah, thank you. I did overlook, and we've had questions and discussion throughout the presentation, but if there are any, any discussions you would like to have now, you know, just kind of closing things up, definitely open to that as well. Anything for this evening? Want to make a, I just want to make a clear the statement that was um, kind of clarifying, uh, Jim, that you had talked about in us approving this portion of the budget and uh, the understanding of like it's not like pushing us to like urgency, but it's like how this ARPA money could relief some of the works that are being done when it comes to like how much bonds we're selling and stuff like that and how this affects that, right? And so. Like for me, the statement is that the staff in the city are working really hard to make things, figuring things out um, in the efforts that went into the budget. Um, and I think for us, we're like, we don't want to contradict the work that the staff is doing. We want to give life and appreciation to that. At the same time, the double-sided coin is holding you guys up and saying you guys are doing a phenomenal job in making sure you're creating um, a city that is for all people and then on the flip side of that coin is the community and the members who reside in this community. And so for us as commissioners when we look at something so complex as this and when it comes to money um, we have to be super mindful of how to balance that right because it, what I don't want to happen is the staff feel ostracized and like, dang, we did all this work and you guys just didn't approve it and it's, it's not that. It's to make sure as we're trying to see how to move Kalamazoo forward together that we understand we're doing this together, right? And so 2024 comes around and we say maybe we want to amend some of this and we want to use some money for this. It's not to make, I want, uh, staff to know it's not to spite or to say well we don't believe in what you guys are doing but because you guys are so innovative and we trust like for me I've learned how to trust director Baker and Laura and Jeff and all you know all you guys I've learned how to trust you guys and I also want you guys to understand that we appreciate that but to carry the burden of seeing a community being taken care of is super important. 
And so as we discuss and deliberate how this happens, and maybe we may, may, may make some amendments in 2024 or 2025, and like I always appreciate when Director Baker says, we found money here, or uh, Patrick says, we found money here. Like that is like awesome. That is super freaking awesome to me that they can go and find this kind of money to do these things. At the same time, how do we care for them and say, all right, the work you're doing is super important and, and then the community too, right? And so I just wanted to make that statement because I know that a lot of times we're up here with our thoughts and we say things and I just want you guys to know that we do deeply appreciate the work you guys are doing. And we have to articulate that in a way where the community understands that. Because I took a trip to the water um, with Director Baker and we, um, I took my daughter with me. And she was looking at the complex systems of water, the wells and how much it pumps and how, like, and she's like, all this just to take a shower and drink some water? I'm like, yes, all this for that, <laughs> right? And I'm like, but we have an obligation to say, all right, the next generation. I always tell people what I do today is not for today. Oh, even though it impacts today, it's for 50 years down the line. I'm thinking about generations. When I do this work, when I, like, so you guys know, when I do this work and when I think about the things I think about, it's for the 50, 100 years down the line. People will know, man, they did something great. And so to my colleagues, I appreciate the work you guys do because it's hard. People don't know the things that go through our minds up here. The community has so much things to say about us. And I was thinking to myself earlier when I was coming to this meeting, I was like, how stupid you are, Esther, to get up there and just be a target for people. But that's okay. I'll be a target for people. At the same time, I'm gonna be a change for my community, right? And so I applaud you guys. Jim, attorney, colleagues, like this is not easy work. This is not for the faint. This is because you're chosen. And I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other questions about Manager Smith? Anything else at this point? Commissioner Prado. Sure. Um, I just wanted to know <clears throat> to thank the budget team. Uh, there's some members of the budget team who work particularly hard, you know, leading up through Thanksgiving holiday, right up to the December launch, and then continuation as this work continues to happen. So Steve, want to make sure to thank you um, for all your work, but also Stephanie. And I always I feel like I'm saying her last name wrong, but Raiden, is that right? Um, say it again. Radon. Radon. Uh, Melissa Fuller, Jennifer Clark. Uh, please, you know, thank you for all your work um, in bringing all this here. I mean, it, it, when you put it into perspective, when you see that on the website and all the different places you can click through and just like the attention to detail that's required to make sure that every one of those links connects to every single item line and they all add up and, and it all works for us when we launch this, the $300 million budget is truly incredible. And so thank you to you and your team for all the work that you're doing, but also um, to uh, Director S uh, Steve Brown as well for his work with that uh, portion of the FFE coming in, and then Carrie Lynn Williams as well, because I know that's an important part from the grant making side of things for uh, the budget as well, but wanted to make sure to give those individuals a shout out, so thanks. Other thoughts or comments at this time? Commissioner Hess? I have a thought. Um, yes, uh, what they said, and um, 
again, gratitude to all who have taken the time to, to actually, if you've watched this, thank you for watching this and, and being together with us. Uh, we're talking about $300 million, like it's, it's just 300 million, you know, it's just $300 million. It's huge, and it's huge, and it's spent on behalf of the people of Kalamazoo. One thing that we didn't approve and can't approve here on this dais is priceless. Those things are hearts and minds. We can't put a price on the hearts and minds of the people of Kalamazoo. Patience. There's no price for patience. There's no cost. It just has to happen. Kindness. What price can you put on kindness? Equity. We can put equity into place and programs into place, but until our hearts and minds change, we don't get there. Dealing with change. Dealing with change is hard, and it's priceless. And it takes people stepping up to the plate and saying, yes, this is something that we desire for our city, and we have to deal with the change that comes along with that. Trust, as Commissioner Juarez said, is priceless. Trust. We trust city staff, directors, and departments with our lives. Thank you. We trust city manager's office. Trust city attorney's office. Trust the city clerk's office. Thank you. And then collaboration is priceless. So many of our directors stepped up today and said how we're working across boundaries with people. And that doesn't have a cost. It just means reaching out to another and, and saying, let's work together for the greater good of Kalamazoo. That's what I want to do. And that's what I feel that we are doing here in the city. And, uh, and we have $300 million with which to do it. So thank you to everyone who worked on this, and let's spend our money and our time wisely. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hess. Next on the agenda is a closed session. We will not be coming back uh, into a public session after our closed session, so I will need a motion to go into closed session. So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Juarez. Support. Supported by Christopher Prado. Should we do a roll call on that, Clerk? Bro? It's required. Uh, it's required. Okay. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Prado. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Decker. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. The motion to go to closed session passes. Our special session for budget review is now adjourned. Thank you for your attendance.